everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 370, and today we're talking about Apescape. Please play along with the show if you fancy it. We have some games coming up that you might want to look into completing and then join in with the conversation, either posting on the forum ahead of time or listening to the show spoiler-free, or, well, without it mattering that it's being spoiled, at least. We have Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, some years after we covered Guybrush's first piratical adventure. Following that, we've got Paradroid and Paradroid 90, 8- and 16-bit classics from the mid-80s and very early 90s. After that, we continue our Final Fantasy Odyssey with the big number 10. And after that, it's Fury. And also, we have the start of a series, a new series of games based around another simian that is Donkey Kong. We're going to start that series with Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong, which is the Donkey Kong Game Boy game, which is also sometimes known as Donkey Kong 94, but it's a whole separate game. It's kind of a bit of a secret gem, uh, and we'll be talking about both of those and probably the history of high score chasing and uh, King of Kong and all that on the Donkey Kong podcast. You can uh, find out the entire schedule up to the end of the year and links to all our other outlets at canarince.com you can also get every show every one of these podcasts a week earlier than non-subscribers and often extended as well by supporting us for just a dollar a single dollar currently at the time of recording around 79 pence or 0.9 euros and that also gives you access to uh, an exclusive monthly podcast and three month early uh, format special podcasts Patreon.com slash Cane and Rinse if you want to support us. A dollar is the minimum and unlocks everything, but more is encouraged and very welcomely received. We also have a PayPal button on the homepage if you just want to throw money at us. We don't accept Bitcoin, but uh, but actual cash is great of whatever denomination. And don't forget, we do have other podcasts. It's not just Cane and Rinse. We have three other podcasts. Sound of Play comes out on Wednesdays. We listen to music. We talk to composers. It's a fantastic show. Thursdays is also brilliant. We have Playwright, where Ryan and Ryan invent new games from scratch. And Fridays, Chris O'Regan talks to developers, the people who make the games that we eventually and ultimately review in The Sausage Factory. We're also stepping up our Twitch and YouTube video content Twitch, particularly on Thursdays, we have Sea of Thieves on the HMS Cana Rinse with Chris and Darren. We have uh, streaming on a Sunday and Chris is tying some of these games in with what we're covering on the podcast here. So uh, recently you'll find Ape Escape and that has now gone from Twitch. He streamed it on a Sunday and it's now up on YouTube. So you can enjoy that along with the show. If you want, subscribe, review and rate to this podcast and all the others and all of the above. Link it, click it, like it, heart it, whatever you want to do on wherever you get your shows from. And it's all really excellent. Uh, Follow us on social media as well. Why not? Keep up with what we're doing on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 370 are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. What colour are your pants? Uh, Currently they are green, but that is subject to change. (laughs) Charlotte Cuts. I dare ask ask you. (laughs) Uh, oh, um, I'm not at liberty to divulge this confidential okay, we'll, information. We'll work it out based on your input to the show. Uh, <laughs> and Tony Atkins. I'm not wearing pants. Oh my goodness. You are running about like a naughty little nude monkey. And that's an image that will stick with our listeners for the rest <laughs> of the show. So we're talking about Ape Escape. 
the first game in the series. The reason we're starting at the very beginning is because the series is 20 years old. We know it as Ape Escape in the West and Europe and America and wherever else. But actually, the original Japanese name is Sarugetsu, which means monkey get you or yeah something along those lines uh it means catch a monkey in short uh it is if you don't know a cute and cartoonish 3d platformer with puzzle and stealth elements that's my pithy little cigarette packet version of what kind of a game this is however better yet from the forum caligula's horse says this is a game where you travel through time catching monkeys who have silly flashing lights on their heads using a big net a slingshot an rc car a hula hoop and a stun rod that looks like a bit of a knockoff lightsaber toy enough said it's amazing this was actually made by sony computer entertainment japan the japanese Sony Studio, published by Sony, of course. Uh, interesting thing about the director of this game. So Masamichi Seki, a sound designer, always a sound designer before and since, worked on the sound of games like Gran Turismo and Omega Boost, also for Polyphony, uh, also worked on sound for Alundra 2 and Fantavision and Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy, the Japanese version, of course, and more Gran Turismo games, and more recently Dragon's Crown for Vanillaware as, yes, a sound guy, sound effects, even wrote the music for the Clash of Titans video game. This, as far as I can tell, is his one and only credit as a game director. What a legacy. Wow. <laughs> Very weird. Very strange. Uh, whereas, so the sound on this game is, uh, was put together by Soichi Tarada, more of which uh, in a bit when we talk about the music. Now, the development lasted over two years, was generally focused on adapting to the use of the new fungled twin analogue PlayStation controller, which was a significant challenge for the team. It was officially announced, Ape Escape, in the April 99 issue of the official US PlayStation magazine, uh, which is not long before it came out, actually. Uh, a playable demonstration was integrated into the Jam Pack Summer 99 compilation CD released by PlayStation Underground. A second playable demo was included on a promotional disc released by Pizza Hut in <laughs> November 99. Yeah. Promotions for the game were held on Cartoon Network during Sony's winter holiday marketing campaign. Uh, but it was actually released first in North America, even though it was a Japanese game. Came out at the end of May. 99, followed in Japan towards the end of June and arrived in Europe in July, early July 1999. Uh, worth saying, now we've all had some fun trying to play this game in 2019. We'll talk about why in our histories, uh, but it's even worth saying that it's actually not possible to play this game officially on a PS2, uh, sorry, on a PS3 because the emula an emulation issue crashes the game at the title screen, basically. It just locks up. And in fact, that's also true of some uh, unofficial emulators. It seems to be a thing. Apparently, the game does work if you have a PS2 or a PS2 Slim. Uh, it will play on there. They also released, uh, some years later, a PSP incarnation, a slight adaptation, obviously, because the controller is different. PSP, if you remember, had one. What did they call that little nubbin? Nubbin. PSP nubbin. <laughs> the little analog, little analog slidey doobry. Yeah. Nodule. Yeah. Um, so it didn't have the twin analogs in the same way. Didn't have back touch like the Vita. So it was uh, a, somehow they had to cram it on there. Crazy yeah, device. Yeah, Ape Escape on the loose or Ape Escape P. Uh, came out in 2005 and 2006, uh, actually arrived over a year after its Japanese and American debut in EU. Uh, and we heard from Shystar137 on the forum who says, I played the PSP 
port on my Vita. Since the PSP lacked a second analogue stick and an R2 and L2, it meant that buttons would now use the gadget and X was bound to jump. It also left only three gadget slots. In some ways I prefer this as spinning the analogue stick every time I wanted to use the hop or flyer got tiring after a while and mushing a bottom I think that's meant to be button. <laughs> whatever you, whatever, whatever takes exactly your fancy. <laughs> Mushing a bottom works just as well. Plus, jumping with the R1 button still feels strange. However, I will admit losing the second analog gadget does mean that the game lost some of its charm. I would say that the PSP is overall about on a par with its PS1 counterpart, even if the three gadget slots and the improved voice acting means it's a downgrade. Uh, uh, the reviews at the time were really quite positive. Edge, uh, you know, uh, in a, in Edge magazine, famously always a 7 out of 10 was a good review and that's what they gave it. Famitsu in Japan gave it a solid 32 out of 40, so I guess four eights or something like that. GameSpot, eight out, uh, 8.8 out of 10. And IGN gave it a whopping 9.5 out of 10. Review averaging just over 90%. And the on-the-loose version did not fare so well a few years later, partly due to the issue mentioned and partly I think just some had felt it had aged and that dropped to uh, 66.5% um, so yeah I wonder if that didn't uh, didn't do it so many favours commercially the original sold about a third of a million in Japan about three quarters of a million in America about half a million in Europe and a few elsewhere to make a total of about 1.6 million a bit more than that so not too shabby and the on the loose version sold about 120,000 in Japan, 50,000, uh, no, sorry, 500,000 in America, and apparently a pitiful, pitiful 10,000. <laughs> yeah, Europe. we really didn't like it. Well, that <laughs> was the PSP, you know. <laughs> yes, and that and that was late, late, late in the PSP day as well, I suppose. Uh, well, I suppose it wasn't 2006, but that machine never really hit the heights over here. Uh, so yeah, that one in total sold about. Uh, 700,000 copies around the world. So making a total for this game that we're talking about today, a fairly healthy two, two and a quarter million, something like that. So, yeah, can't say fairer than that, really. But yeah, what about our histories with the game? Uh, do we remember it from the time? Which versions have we played? How much we played it? How did we do it? Etc. Etc. Charlotte. So I got my um, PS1 as a present when my sister was born. So that would have been October 1999. Very so specific. I didn't um, get um, Ape Escape with my PS1 for whatever reason, but I'm kind of, I think I was really, I'd, I'd borrowed a PS1 at the time from my dad's work colleague and that came with Crash Bandicoot, the first one. So I think my brain was fixated on Crash Bandicoot at the time yeah. and not um, other platforming options. Um, I think I tried Rayman and I wasn't too taken with it. So I mm. think I was very much into Crash Bandicoot at the time and not Apes, not, not other options that were out there. But I, I ended up buying Ape Escape when I started collecting PS1 to PS3 games back in 2016, I think, yeah. maybe 2015. And it just sat on my shelf for ages because I collected all these PS1 games. I was like, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to play all these old game, old quotation marks, <laughs> yeah. games Relatively that, I, that old. I never got around to at the time. Just never played it. It just sat on my shelf and with a lot of these other games that I'm now just starting to get back into playing. And so Canerance was the perfect opportunity to finally take it off my shelf and give it a whirl. And I had those same problems with, I, I, I actually stuck it in my PS3 and nothing happened. It didn't even, oh, I, don't, right. I okay. don't think it even, it even, it, I, I think it might've come, it come 
through as an unknown disc or something. Yeah, I don't think okay. I could even play it. But yeah, right. so I ended up I ended up bunging it in my uh, PS2, which was a very happy incident because I thought my PS2 had stopped reading PS1 games, and then I stuck it in and it worked. Magic. Great, great discovery. Thank you, Ebscape. So we'll see what else I have to say about the game later on. But if nothing else, at least it made me discover that my PS2 is actually working. <laughs> Magical moments. Fantastic. Brian, what about you? Do you have a long history with Ape Escape? Uh, not, not so long. I really just played it to completion for the first time for the podcast. I do remember playing the demo at my friend Jim's house when we were younger. And it, it was right around the age well, we turned 16 in 1999, which is the age for driving in the United States. So I, it would not... I would not put it past us at the time to drive to Pizza Hut to get a PlayStation demo disc at that age. But right. um, uh, but I don't remember specifically doing that. But I do remember playing the demo. And then when I was in college, I never owned a PlayStation uh, when I was younger. When I was in college, I bought a PlayStation 2. And w- when I bought it, I bought uh, maybe five or six PlayStation 1 titles to play on it, uh, one of which being Ape Escape. And I remember playing through the first set of levels thinking this was pretty cool. So then I took that disc out and I decided, well, I'm going to try this game Final Fantasy 7 that I've heard so much about. And then for the, <laughs> for the next 80 hours, I played that and and forgot about Ape Escape. And that copy of Ape Escape really is sat on the shelf until about a month ago. Wow. So yeah, so I had played maybe the first set of levels. Uh, that was pretty much it. That's all I had recollection of when I got to the second set. It felt like a brand new game to me. So then I, I really played it over the last you know, a month or so for the first time. So relatively you've short. You've really done history. it, right? You've you've done the lot. Yeah, yeah. I um, <laughs> I don't know what it was. There was something when I finished the game. I I said to myself, I kind of went back in to do some cleanup work, and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to catch all these apes. There's nothing that's going to stop me. <laughs> and I spent the next couple nights doing that. So yeah, I've seen pretty much most of what the game has to offer. Although, and we can talk about this later. Somehow, my completion percentage is only at about eighty four percent. Apparently, Ooh. there's completion percentage that's tied to the mini games, but we can talk about all of that later on. Yeah, but, but I did collect gotcha. all 204 of the apes, so that's the main thing, including Spectre. Yes, including Spectre. You can collect Spectre. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, ending. <laughs> ending. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll talk the about true that. True ending. Yeah, the true yes. ending. And uh, okay, really, we'll talk uh, about that later. <laughs> it's a nice scene as well. Kind of. Yes, it is. It's a weird scene. Now we're talking yes. about like, <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, I should probably issue a sp- I should have issued not a spoiler really, warning, but, <laughs> but probably not really. No. Uh, if anyone got upset about a spoiling ape escape, I might say, have a word with yourself. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> yeah, so um, a little bit like Brian, I I picked up this game um, and I think a, you know, at, around, at or around launch around that time. Um, and I think primarily it was because of the newfangled control method. Um, it just you know, piqued my interest and I was like, I've got to try this. Played the game in the, the, the early levels. Now, I was sure I played the game com- to completion and that mm-hmm. must have been wrong because um, I played the game to completion for the show. And there is the second half of that game I do not remember at all. So I'm going to say that I didn't play the game to completion and it was uh, rose tinted specs that, uh, you know, uh, that I did so because, yeah, uh, I, this was like Josh with something recently where he'd only played like the first two hours or something. I, 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 yeah, I, you know, I know the first couple of levels, but then it's just, it just goes <laughs> blank. So, um, th- which was a pleasant surprise, I, I guess, in some respects, well, because yeah. um, you know I did actually then get to say that I truly completed Ape Escape. <laughs> yeah, you know, so in the mind's eye. But I had a yeah, I had a an, a bit of a, an issue because I went to play Ape Escape on my. I no longer have my original PlayStation 1, which really upsets me because I don't know why I would have got rid of that. But I swapped it for one of those little PS1 mini things that came out, which A is... PS1. U-O-O-N-E. Yeah, PS1. literally spelled yeah. that way. 
They're very dinky. They are dinky and they're kind of cool. Um, but I gave away my lead that connected it to the TV. For and it's a bespoke lead. Of course, you know, Yeah. these things. Um, so I was a bit panicked because I had the game. Um, so then I had to look down the emulation route because, yeah, I, I didn't really think what I could do there. And uh, speaking to Leon, with looking through that, decided in the end not to go, go that route and actually follow Charlotte's uh, template and played it on the PS2, <laughs> which would have right. been far easier, of course, if I just worked that one out straight away. Um, ah, so. I didn't really... When I when we were talking about this, I didn't realise you you had access to a PS2. Oh, I still got my uh, original PS2, yes. It's a, yeah. it's a tad loud nowadays <laughs> um, and the controls mm. are a little sticky, but yeah, it, it works. My history is a little lengthy. I try not to be too boring about it, but to, to bring it all together... So I remember playing the demo, I think, uh, of the PS1 version originally back in 99. And I remember thinking that it felt great, especially the, the vibration on catching a monkey in the net. Is, and I is thought the demo that, two levels long? Is this is, Maybe I just played the demo. <laughs> that's probably what you played, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking it felt really great and that I'd quite like to play it. But for whatever reason, I never got around to buying that first uh, inc- installation of, of the series uh, installment, I should say. Uh, then at some point, soon after I started going out with Tanya, who's still my girlfriend now, so this was 2002, three-ish, uh, I, I think I lent her a PS1. She wasn't massively into games, but obviously I was mad into them. So she was sort of taking an interest and she she got a PS1. Or at, she had a PS1 at home, possibly an old one of mine, I think. Um, she got some games on my recommendation. I said, oh, Ape Escape, you know, she likes monkeys. Um, so <laughs> so, uh, so I recommended she play that. So it was still, you know, we're still in the early 2000s, so it was still easy to pick up secondhand PS1 games. So she bought, bought the PAL version, very good. I think it was a secondhand copy, but it was in excellent nick and still is because we still have it. I remember her saying... Uh, she got stuck on a particular monkey uh, and she never showed me where it was. So I never quite got to solve it for her. And I was asking her again. Now I finished the game yesterday saying, which monkey was it you got stuck on? And she's like, it was 17 years ago. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, and I was, I, I was, I was has it not been bugging you ever since? She just said, well, the first thing she said, was, I said, can you remember what which monkey it was, meaning like which level and which area? And she said, it had a flashing light. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no, does that narrow it down? Uh-huh. Uh, it had shorts on. So, yeah, uh, I still don't know where she got stuck, but I think we still have her save game on the PS1 memory card. Now, I saw this because I loaded up her disc to play. Now, I don't think my current modern TV, I'm not sure without poking around the back, has got all the inputs for consoles of that age. I'm not sure if it's even got a SCART input on my, on my Sony Bravia 4. 4K, yada, yada set. So I took it into the lounge. we got a Samsung in there. It's still got a SCART socket. So I started playing it on the PS1. PS1 was a bit dicey, as they tend to be. It's uh, 22 years old, chipped machine to play imports. Started playing it. It was okay, but the loading started to get less and less and less uh, reliable. Started crashing out of levels and things like that. And then after a couple of hours, I couldn't load it just wouldn't load anything. Uh, the spindle came off the top of the CD and blah. So... Uh, that was bad. So then I cracked out the PS2, which is also chipped. That one wouldn't recognize it as a disc at all. So <laughs> ironically, I had the uh. same thing with my PS2 as Charlotte had with her PS3. So I was in Stuck, really. Um, so I, yeah, I had to emulate it. In the end, I emulated the US version, which at least 
there were two advantages to this. One is it plays faster than the PAL version. And two, I could use save states. The real downer about the whole thing was, although playing it on emulation was largely fine, there's a controller issue with with dual shock, uh, with dual analog controllers on PS1 emulation, there are ways around it, but I couldn't work out how to fix it. So I had to play the entire game where I couldn't run directly north. So I had to pretty much zigzag my way through every single level oh and every gosh. platforming challenge. Oh, so that may have slightly negatively coloured my experience, <laughs> but I wow. am aware. Uh, yeah, so that, I mean, it's just just a strange set of circumstances. But there we are. I've now finished it. I haven't got every monkey because, as you can imagine, using that control method was starting to get a little grating and a little mm. uh, frustrating by the end. So I uh, and also time. So I haven't got the true ending, but I have. I've looked it up. The thing is, I did play Ape Escape two at, at the time uh, when that came out back in two thousand three. So I was already very familiar with the with the concept. But uh, but there we are. So yes, but I have seen the the basic credits roll. I uh, just want to correct something. Cause I've realised um, what happened with my disc when I put it in the PS three actually wasn't. I'm getting it mixed up with a different uh-huh. game. It did it did recognise the disc. What happened with me when you say it doesn't get past the loading screen? It's the uh, the black PS one symbol it just wouldn't go past that so i think i've got the standard error message that everybody gets using on ps3 uh so yeah yeah. okay and also for clarification i played on an original playstation for this playthrough so oh great okay uh you've done you've done the lot that's fantastic the silly scenario and setting. That's what I've put on the show notes. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the game tells the story of an ape named Spectre who gains enhanced intelligence and a malevolent streak through the use of an experimental helmet. Uh, Spectre produces an army of apes, which he sends through time in an attempt to rewrite history. Spike, the player character, uh, or Kakaru, uh, sets out to capture the apes with the aid of special gadgets. I love the scenario. I think the scenario is fantastic. Uh, where I think it falls down, and we'll move straight on to this, is the the actual storytelling, which is quite skewed extremely young. So even when I first played this age, you know, 20 something, uh, I was just pretty much like, yeah, this is like a children, a, a young children's show at that. So I love the characters. I love the scenario. But the actual telling of the story <laughs> was was very kind of babyish, I thought. I would agree with that completely. Some of the uh, sections of what what you could call exposition or, or any type of story, I don't want to call it dumbed down because I don't that 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 <laughs> makes it, it seems to insult it too heavily. But it is so simplistic on a level to where you are just mashing the button for the next time that you just get to catch some of the monkeys. And yes. it, there's no I didn't feel attached to any of the characters in any in any meaningful way. And and I think that there there's something to be said for the formula of just go do the thing and come back to the hub <laughs> world and get a new power. Like like I played through all the Mega Man's and I read the story blip at the beginning and was completely satisfied with Dr. Wiley and, you know, Dr. Light. Yeah. And I didn't need anything extra. And I feel like the addition of those uh, the, the attempts at story always kind of took me away from the thing that I actually liked about the game. It's is it an attempt at story or is it just a voice acting? Because I, uh, I, yeah. I think, it, you know, I've played plenty of you know games around that time. And if it, I think it was just text on screen. You'd kind of just buy it. Go, oh, yeah, it's a yeah, quirky story. Cool. But the I mean, I'm not expecting amazing voice acting, certainly for the time. But there's something about uh, for what's, what's the main guy? Character Spike. Spike, is it? So in the Western yes. versions, he's he's Kakaru elsewhere. So so Spike, it comes across as like a petulant child um kind of just like why is no one listening to me i'm just a kid like yeah i'm just ugh. but the rest of his team seemed to be at times kind of 
almost like angry at him for even being here and doing <laughs> this stuff. It's it's it, you know it's the, the female um, professor that she just she just seems really. <laughs> I don't really knocked off that Spike is even here doing stuff. Yeah, even when even when he rescues her from a monkey cage. Yeah, yeah. Like she almost backchats him. It's it's really strange. <laughs> like it is dumbed down, <laughs> but it's just really. I wasn't expecting it. One of the curious things about this game is that it does each. I believe each each installment, each version, and there have actually been a ton of uh, Ape Escape games. Now there's a, there's three mainline games and a bunch of others. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the legacy, but there's, it's not to say we won't return to the series in future. Uh, but they always have multiple localizations. So the UK version has a very specific UK dub <laughs> with with English voice acting. The American version has American voices and Charlotte. I didn't know this, but actually there's also uh, European dub languages, including German. Yep. Yep. And right. it's, it's awful. <laughs> right. Universal at the very least, though. Is Spike still, are the characters, do we know if the characters are still called the same things as the other Western versions? Are they, is he still Spike? Or yeah, is he... in the German version, he's still Spike. I think the okay. names are kept the same for the German one. Right. Well, Charlotte wouldn't have seen it if she's not seen the secret ending or the ending for collecting everything. But there's a there's a scene where you capture or go to capture Spectre, and right at that end, Spectre talks about his kind of his his he's missing his his um carer back at the uh, the zoo. Yeah, his caretaker. And it mm-hmm. and it's almost like they almost try to to pull something off as like oh do, you know do you feel regret is, you know is there do you want to go yeah. back to your, your carer? And it caught me off guard because the rest of the game had not been like that at all. And it was just There's like, a few you know, bits you where they try to feelings. crowbar in yeah. sort of with great power comes great responsibility exactly, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, like, I would just... never let my friends down. That's why I won't yeah. hurt you. And he goes and the, the the eventual end of that scene is that he does actually go back to his care and you see him kind of cuddled up in his carer's arm. And it it, no. it just it was really odd. This like this touching moment. Did of you the cry? Back in, I, I did. Def- I did not cry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> there, there may have been tears of laughter, but it was just the the game is story wise all over the place. Be it voice acting, be it story, but you know, I I didn't come to Ape Escape for the story, but no. you, know, you can't. No. Yeah, I I, lo- I actually love it because the story is just so nonsensical in parts and and just so cheesy. It is bonkers, and yeah, it's very silly. In the European version, uh, or even in the German version, what does Spike say when he dies? Does anybody have... He had a catchphrase in my game. I'm not sure if that was universal or not. I can't quite remember, but he says a lot of, oh, nine. Like, <laughs> oh, no. That's the problem with the German version, though, is that they... I think they didn't get somebody who was a native <laughs> oh, wow. like, yeah. German speaker because it's right. all very dumbed down. Like, when he finishes a level, he literally says, I've managed it or something like right. that. Or mm. I've got yeah. it. It's, like, very overly... Yeah dumbed down it's it's a bad it's a bad translation and the voice acting is bad which just makes it even worse yeah i think um i think you're right brian i think in terms of localization the script is 99 percent the same but yeah i think what you're referring to is where he says is, is he says that bites because yeah, yeah this yeah, bites this, this bites because oh. <laughs> i've been playing obviously i've been playing the u.s version mainly because it was like that was as i say that was one good thing about having to play the emulated version is that I didn't have to play the slightly slower PAL version, but it did mean that I had the even slightly more obnoxious American voice rather <laughs> yeah, than the, rather than the very children's TV show um, English voices. But yeah, I think you're, I think it probably is just in the English one. It's probably like something like, Oh no, rather than that bites. Yeah. This bites. Um, <laughs> the thing is yeah. it felt very Bart Simpson to me, but yeah. about 
a decade after Bart Simpson was edgy. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I, it just kind of felt very out of place. Um, in fact, unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're me, uh, my two-year-old son is now running around the house saying this bites because I was saying it for about a week straight. <laughs> so With his time net. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I, did, I couldn't help myself but draw parallels for games around the time. And, you know, Super Mario 64 kept coming up in my head. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, no, no doubt this was one of Sony's attempts to try to make something that was at least in the same ballpark. Okay, so that's, it wasn't out of place me me coming across this multiple times. But no. one, but one of the things, if you think about, you know, Mario, they know not to make him talk. It's just it's just simpler. Like the story Somebody of Mario is ridiculous. Just occasionally have and in yeah. sunshine. Yeah, just leave it. And so it, that was one of the things. Was like, yeah, they would have been better off just, you know, not not kind of embellishing it. It's just kind of maybe have some text and be done with it. But it is that what it said, is. Of, I mean, I completely agree. But there are loads of people out there who, you know, love these characters. They probably write all kinds of fan fiction and worse about <laughs> no, they them. Don't. They do. They do. Uh, uh, I'm sure they on do. the internet. Just as a as a little note of curiosity, uh, the the localized dub applies to almost everyone except for Monkey Pink. Who retains the same more American accent in both? <laughs> uh, but I don't, is Monkey Pink a talking character in this game, or is that in later in the series? I think possibly. The American English voice acting was recorded at Doobie Tune Studios in San Francisco, California, <laughs> with Sarah Hollihan and the magnificently named Hunter A. Pipes III serving as voiceover director and producer, <laughs> respectively. But I think away from all the the nonsense of the cutscenes, at least the star the stars of the show are surely the Pippo monkeys themselves, sometimes just called monkeys or apes. They are ordinary monkeys under the control of a mass-produced helmet called the Peak Point Helmets. Uh, they are shown as uh, little apes. If you examine them, you find that they have, uh, they are sort of marked as uh, having attributes in three different areas, marked out of five, and most magnificently of all, which I alluded, alluded to at the uh, top of the show, a monkey's, the colour of a monkey's pants. And I'm thinking maybe we should go with shorts here because pants means something different to, uh, <laughs> to depending on where you come from. Shorts means underwear in America and short trousers here. So that works for these monkeys. Uh, the the colour of the monkey's shorts can give a glimpse on the monkey's personality and behaviour. So we have uh, yellow, red, black, blue, light blue, green, white, pink, and like Tony, no pants, uh, which uh, alludes to their personalities. I think these are such cute character designs. I think this was one of the games that made me really understand that I, I, I was being a bit snobbish about Sony's ability to make games. And I was thinking, you know, they're not Nintendo, mm. they're not Konami, they're not Capcom, they're, 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 a, they're a tech company making characters. But actually, I think these apes are, are fantastic. They obviously Media Molecule went on to create Sackboy uh, 10 years later. And that was another, I think, another absolutely adorable Sony character. But these monkeys, I've, I've got a couple of, uh, I was gifted a couple of glove puppet Pippo monkeys by uh, by Jay and Kai. And um, yeah, I just think they're great. And in the game, they're so deliciously brought to life by both the their animation and their behavior. The fact that you find them doing different, like, you know, sort of copying, aping, if you will, uh, human behaviors. You'll find them playing pool or in an arcade or just sitting around their house. Uh, some of them are really ag aggressive. Some of them have night vision goggles and missiles. Uh, <laughs> they the way they run away, and and this is where the game. I think one of the areas in which the game shines is that the actual act of trying to catch them plays out like a silent comedy, like physical comedy, like um, vintage era. 
so you've got this sort of emergent improvised comedy that is the catching of the monkeys. That for me is where this game is at its absolute height. I would agree completely. I think that the personality that you can come across in these levels just between the different monkeys is, is really entertaining and engaging to the point where I'd be going through levels and and especially your first kind of time through the game, you have a certain amount of monkeys you're supposed to collect per level and you get to that set amount, but you could see another monkey off in the distance. And I was always kind of struck and like, like disappointed that the game would pull me out of the level when I hit that. Cause I wanted <laughs> yeah. to see what the next one was doing. Like <laughs> the crabby beach level, you go out and you have one, one monkey that's literally firing an Uzi at you while wearing sunglasses. Another one just, <laughs> just on a hammock. Just hanging out, just <laughs> vacationing, just like, like you know, free hits. zoom in on them and explain why. Yeah, so, exactly. like, say one of them, one of them, like, um, the later in the game is just lying there and it just says, faint with hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just, it was, um, it was striking to me right from the beginning that, like, it, this game had had more personality below the surface than you would have initially expected. And and it's one of those things that the, the more you get into it, the more you read the monkey book and see the different facts about the monkeys, the more kind of, I don't <laughs> want to say attached you become to them, but the more uh, the more in, uh, interested you get in tracking them all down. So, yeah, I think the, the monkey design and, and the way their eyes are half googly and they're always kind of running about causing mischief. It just... It, it was they, they whenever you stumbled across a new one, it was nothing but a delight. Yeah, I loved um, going through the compendium after every single level and seeing what the name and the characteristics of the monkeys I caught were. And um, I had a moment where I felt actually really sort of, I, I talked about this in Podtoid a few weeks ago, actually, where I caught two monkeys out of what looked like their dining room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yes, was just yeah. like horrified uh, at what have I done? <laughs> I know, yeah. The aggressor. It's definitely uh. a Shadow of the Colossus style you know, regret to uh, to catching some of these monkeys. <laughs> it feels like you are, yeah, you, you're the bad guy in this scenario for sure. Tony, did the monkeys amuse and entertain they you? They did. And, uh, you know, to Charlotte's point, I always, I, well, maybe slightly different, I always like, oh, a free hit when you had one, say, in a hammock, we just catch them and go, yes, like, off, off, here we go. And then, you know, the regret would completely go to the time I've chased one, you know, halfway around the level going, will you just stand still? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> um, but my normal tactic would be generally just to try to run at them, at, at, you know, straight off and then just do my very best. And if that went completely pear-shaped, it's like, okay, right, what's the tactic here? Um, but hit them. Hit them. <laughs> always, yeah, nine times out of ten, hit them with something. Um, and then, you know, stun them to, to catch them. But, yeah, they, quite often, they, I, I enjoyed the, the sneaking up behind them um yeah that was a that was always good fun so yeah the, yeah there's yeah, some there stuff. Is, um yeah. there's a there's a lot of charm that comes through it and and i can't and i i think it's japanese charm you know, or you know eastern charm more so than you know kind of american they're not traditionally uh, asian eastern asian nah. design looking characters though they they look like they were designed with the international the world market in mind, I think. <laughs> Although the fact that they they obviously they did make uh, like glove puppets and stuff that mm. came out in Japan suggests that they they went down quite well there. And the beacons on their head as well. You know, it's, yeah. And and then <laughs> yes. And we talk about um, the sound design in this as well. But the, the fact that you know, along with the visual element, there's the sound designs of the monkeys, and you know, you can hear them with the hats and stuff. You know, that really does. And and certainly that the you know the catching with the net is. Oh, it's just like inject inject it into my veins. That, Absolutely, that, that, oh, it's just yeah. That's the reason. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I could give or take catching <laughs> the monkeys here, there, and everywhere. 
when you ca- catch one in a net and you get the, <laughs> the sound, it's, yeah. oh, yes, thank you very much. I, was, uh, I should say one of the things I wanted to say, actually, that I I'd still, even though I had the controller issues, I did play it with a Sony PS1 DualShock mm, uh, hooked cool. into my PC via an adapter. Ooh. So I didn't. Uh, it wouldn't have been the same without that, I don't think, because the the vibration is perfectly tuned for those motors kind yes. of thing. So the emulation mm. actually went th- carried through on that. So that that was a, a lot's got to be said about that that controller design for for when it was released. You know, it what it was a big deal and it was a selling point. It was you know that's what got it on the front of magazines. And I, you know, I do wonder whether this game would have had such a big impact if it if it wasn't you now. Not that's, that's not tact. Tact on is the wrong word, but it wasn't you know accompanied by this kind of big push for the control uh, scheme as well. But I'd like to think that maybe you know the uh, the overall aesthetics and whatnot would have pushed it to as many people as possible. Yeah. But I I do remember that being one of the things I really was like, okay, I got to try out this new pad. Look at this, it's and maybe cool. it also had a uh, had a, a small part to play in the proliferation of of twin analog mm, sticks yeah. and games in in general because obviously we'd had Super Mario 64 at this point of course, and yeah. it's astonishing use of of the analog and I you know I think I think it's fair to say that the analog stick on the N64 for for all the people who hate that you know three pronged controller the implementation of the analog stick itself particularly in Super Mario 64 was peerless whereas the DualShock analogs were mm-hmm. up until really up until the PS4 generation not the best. Be they always had a massive dead zone, yeah. And, yeah, and all this. So th- this game was clearly designed around that very specific controller in the same way that Halo was designed around the Duke, and the same way mm. that Mario was designed around the that controller. So I think that made sense for the younger audiences listening now. Like the idea that they're and we've talked about so many retro games in the show, it shouldn't actually matter. But when you talk about a DualShock controller, like this was one of the first games that utilized you know a you know a twin stick controller on the playstation it just seems crazy to me like that's that's a thing and, and it, 20 years and it shouldn't do but it still does it's just yeah like this was one of the first games to you know to utilize that i mean heck like i i'm one of the younger people in the Kane and Rins crew but i remember the my aunt was the first person i knew who had a ps1 and she had the one without the analog sticks and yeah. i um, got very used to I, I used to for a long time when a, a ps1 game had a choice between directional buttons and analog stick i wouldn't yeah. use the analog stick because i was no. just so used to using the directional mm, buttons yeah. absolutely yeah some and some games i still use a d-pad for because i started playing them with a d-pad then mm-hmm. like wipeout even though that would obviously lend itself to analog controls so, well, so there's nothing yeah. wrong with the yeah eight-way directional controls and all that stuff or four-way you know for the d-pad but just this being the game that kind of you know mm. didn't necessarily popularize it but was one of the first ones that that yeah. led with it it just yeah it's it's kind of it just makes me feel old i guess <laughs> i was um i was blown away by both that and also um well i mean the whole game i felt like we were just at the time it must have been just right on the verge of using the right stick for full camera control like i just felt mm. like you could mm-hmm. just kind of feel it like it was like that next step this game kind of bridging the gap but then also when i got in the water it you know click in the left stick to swim Mm-hmm. to go down and for yeah, me dive, that was yeah. i don't remember that happening till xbox 360 like i mean that was when when that was when i got an xbox 360 i remember that being an option being like oh there's two more buttons on this thing that i yeah. had never used before mm-hmm. and this seemed to me to be I, I tried to do some research to see what you know if this was the first or one of the first games to utilize it i couldn't come up with a solid answer but it felt pretty revolutionary to me playing it now to be like wow in 1999 they were you know using that as a feature in the game that seemed mm. that seemed pretty ahead of its time and, and dual yeah. shock was a thing obviously in the n64 rumble pack and stuff but so was it the analog stick one with I added the dual shot to the controller? No, well the there was an analog controller for the PS1 that didn't have rumble. So you could play this Straight game light. without the rumble. 
but it wouldn't. Yeah, it was much lighter, obviously. Uh, but yes, I think there was some issues with the patent for the motors in controllers mm. that meant that they or the cost of it, one or the two possibly both, that meant that their first round of analogue controllers, which came out in 97, I think, didn't have rumble. But then the DualShock arrived ahead of this game. So most people would have played this with with twin analogue. Well, you had to play it with twin analogues and and the DualShock motors. What would happen if you tried to hook it up with just a D-pad controller? It says you need it just actually a, a, a splash screen comes up and says... You know, ah. you need you need analog sticks, basically. Yeah, uh, you can even get that screen to appear by pressing the rubber button in the middle of your DualShock and turning the analogs off as it loads. <laughs> and it will say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, the use of the second analog here as items was actually more like the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time in the sense that it was more like putting. Although, actually, the buttons, the you know, you you could ascribe different items to the different fascia buttons triangle cross circle and square um but then to activate them you you wangle the the right analog um but actually in this game the d-pad controls the camera uh so yeah this this would be quite confusing to somebody who hadn't played it before and as as one of our correspondents already alluded to jump is on r1 uh, but we'll get more into the mm. the actual gameplay i still want to talk a little bit more about the visuals because we've talked uh, several times now we've gone back to ps1 era games and we've said many, many times on this show in all kinds of situations and scenarios that by and large, I think as a whole, we feel, gamers feel that if one generation has aged terribly or gra- graphically the worst in many cases, it would be the PS1 and N64 era and 3D Saturn games as well. So these graphics absolutely look like PS1 graphics. Uh, and that means they come with very uh, wobbly polygons and quite chunky pixels and a limit, a very limited draw distance. So I could have played this as I was playing it emulated. I could have put anti-aliasing on. You can that you can mod it. You can you know kind soften of, it, yeah, soften it, make, do whatever. But I elected to play it as I was going to be playing it on on a PS One. That was my plan. I elected to play it un, untouched. I played it in four three aspect ratio as well, and and you know did it properly. Um, I think overall. Apart from the the draw distance occasionally being an actual problem to not knowing where you could go and where you couldn't go, mm. and the fact that the polygons are very you know the 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 actual the environments are incredibly blocky and messy. I think this era of graphics can have a certain charm, but I'm willing to accept that that's partly nostalgia playing a part. For anyone who came to this, I mean you. I know obviously you're aware of the era, Charlotte, but you didn't play this game at the time. So how did you fare with it visually in coming to it so recently? I thought it was one of the more attractive PS1 games I've played mm. because the um, it, it just fit. Like it wasn't, it didn't look ugly because everything looked deliberate, like a very cartoony style that sort of covered a lot of sins yeah. in a way. <laughs> and also I I don't know, like, when I was playing this with Pascal, my boyfriend sat next to me. He did ask mm-hmm. me whether it was PS1 or PS2. It did oh, kind really? of, to me, look huh. like it could have been early, early era huh. PS2, actually. It, it it looked pretty, pretty decent. That's I interesting. Because if you look, the, Apescape 2 was the first PS2 game. And if you look at them running side by side, night it's day. night and day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't have much of a frame of reference with that because yeah. I, I have played Ape Escape 2, but on the PS4, so there's there might be some sort of... It, there is. It, actually, that it, that version is uh, upscaled, yeah, up-raised. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, 
I think looking back on it, it clearly is a PS1 era game, but I think the visual style means that it doesn't... Like if you look at, for example, the original Resident Evil, that does look very outdated, but I think that a cartoony style can sort of cover up a lot of this yeah, um, sort of aging thing. Mm. Tony, did you play this smeared across your 65-inch screen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes and no. <laughs> I started off that way downstairs in, in the bigger screen, but uh, quickly came upstairs and played on my PC monitor because, yeah, big yeah. big 4K TVs do not do uh, PlayStation 1 games justice. Certainly playing through, I'm not quite the original hardware, but hardware that, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't, particularly upscale or any anyway yeah um now and i think what gives this away as a playstation one game versus and it, it's not necessarily to do with visuals to do with the way that the game is designed like there's a lot of as you want to say jagged edges there's a lot of times where you'll move the camera and part of the world will just go see through and you'll see into the back half mm. of, the, yeah. of the world because you know it doesn't quite meet up and yeah just a lot of the level design is very kind of rudimentary block design divided up into little chunks as well yeah and, and I, I won't get too deep in this because there is definitely some gameplay elements i want to talk about that but if you know, if you do to, to have a comparison against something like mario 64 again like it it feels every bit to playstation one game um versus that yeah of, <laughs> of mario 64 and by that i mean there's not quite as much grace um in the in the mm, visuals yeah. like there's yeah it's slow i mean i don't know what the, i can't remember what the frame rate of mario 64 is but the frame rate here is not high i mean it, it's not it's not unplayably low but it's not it's not even 30 frames i, I don't think so i'm talking more about you know if you t- <laughs> the, the problem with comparing anything against mario 64 but it's just that it's a game near nearer that era um is that you know that every level feel like it's it, there's a symmetry to everything in within that same world in Aperscape, it does feel a bit like building blocks, just like blocks here, blocks there, and it's quite Minecrafty actually. Yeah, yeah, just like moving through the the environment rather than kind of loving the environment. And I, I'll get mm-hmm. a bit into gameplay anyway, but yeah, just it, it feels a bit kind of just blocked and put together, which is okay because when you see an ape up on a, a you know a balcony somewhere, you can piece your way through it. But I, but I think what makes it still visually appealing today is its color palette. I think it's its bright colors. It's the monkeys yeah. are cheeky. Um, you know, it, it doesn't go for, you know, the more kind of um, realistic visuals, which always plague PlayStation 1 games, because, you know, if you try to do facial designs, it just comes across as, yeah, you know, as old. But, um, yeah, overall, I don't think it's an unattractive game. And it was, a, it was a game that I was playing in front of my children, and they were certainly, you know, appealed to it. And they love the, the kind of the, the visual design of the monkeys and whatnot. So, yes, That's cool. there's some elements of it, of course, that are aged and dated. But, um, you know, it still stands. It's, it's, it's playable for you know, yeah. somebody now. Brian, aesthetically and technically, how did you feel about the graphics and visuals? I was uh, pleasantly surprised uh, with the way the game still looked. The draw distance, notwithstanding it. It's a good popping, isn't it? It really is, yeah. yeah. Um, It reminded me uh, quite a bit of Mario 64. It's hard not to make those comparisons. But the one thing I thought uh, that was striking was that this game came out three years after Mario Mm. 64 came out. And it just... The movement, just the actually moving Spike around was just so, I, I, it, it just felt clunky in, in comparison. And again, it, yes, it's probably not no fair doubt. to compare the two, but I mean, because the Nintendo 64 was a more powerful piece of hardware and uh, it just, I, I, I could never get over the fact that, that Spike just didn't move the way that I w- thought he should have moved. There's mm-hmm. some platforming. There you go. That's what yeah. I was thinking, yeah. 
Um, the platforming sections, and we'll get into that in a bit. It required some precision that I felt like just the game couldn't keep up <laughs> with maybe what I wanted Spike to be doing, and and some input I think lag. The average and, size of the platforms was quite telling. The fact that yes. most of them were massive, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But but in reality, I found the game pleasant, and and you you turn a corner, and there were there was definitely the the color palette, just as Tony said, that was was really pleasant and was appropriate for each each level. So um, I found myself you know pretty pretty pleased with the visuals, while not always being pleased with the technical performance of the game. Yeah, it's one of those where again, and I know we say this a lot, but if you if you play it for a while, you start to yeah. your brain starts to adjust. Yeah. If you then immediately switched it off and put on Super Mario Odyssey, you'd <laughs> probably go. You'd you, all, all you do is you wouldn't go. Oh my God, Ape Escape looks like garbage. You'd go. Oh my God, <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey looks absolutely incredible. Yeah, how far instead of done, taking yeah. it for granted, so. Uh, no harm in that. To bring back to Mario 64, there is that level that almost directly references Mario 64, where you start what looks like the castle of the beginning of Mario 64, Princess um, Peach's oh, yeah, castle, yeah. and you, yeah. it's yeah. got the moat around the outside. I'm like, hang yeah. on a minute, this is mm. <laughs> this is the castle. There was also mm. there a direct like I, I'm not sure it's it might be too harsh to call it a ripoff, but the the inside the dinosaur section mm-hmm. was mm. a direct ripoff of the uh, inside Jabu Jabu's belly from Ocarina of Time. Mm. I mean, it even had the no. hanging tentacles that after you slay the hanged out, there's a yeah. floating platform that goes up. I mean, it's directly referential, mm. I, I think. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. it's why again, not saying one where that game came out uh, a year and a half roughly before Ape Escape, yeah. but I wrote it down like I as I was playing through it, I I, I look I was watching the walkthrough of Jabu Jabu's belly on my phone and then playing through the Ape Escape level and being like, this is I mean, <laughs> I mean, borderline plagiaristic. <laughs> now, the, the soundscape of the game. Uh, so we already mentioned uh, the, the sound effects and we will talk some more about those, but I want to talk about the music. So Soichi Tarada is actually only done a, a, a small handful of game sound effects and almost all of them are Ape Escape games. He's barely other done any other games. He did uh, some Japanese uh, stuff for the Japanese version of Fantavision and a couple of other odd bits and bobs. But mainly uh, between the year 99 and 2007, he wrote multiple Ape Escape uh, scores. He's actually uh, an electronic artist in his own right, known for his uh, drum and bass and jungle and house music. And those influences are here. So this is this soundtrack is a weird kind of mashup of drum and bass and house and jungle and J-pop and kids cartoon music. Now, for me, I think a lot of it is great, but the main problem is that the loops are so (laughs) short uh, that when you end up spending like 20, 25 minutes in a level catching, rounding up apes, uh, it can start to drive you a little bit scatty and batty. Uh, (laughs) But actually, I like the fact that it sounds quite unlike any other game really of its type. How do you guys feel about Soichi's music? I loved it. I, I didn't even mind it looping. I really, I, I went away and listened to it on Spotify because the, the entire, mm. well, I think it's a nicified a bit. It doesn't sound like PS1 music, but the, the soundtrack oh, okay. is on Spotify. The album so I've been listening to it. Yeah. Arranged versions. Oh, nice. Okay. Like an album version. It's, it's, I don't think there's any remixes or anything. Okay. One thing I wanted to just mention is beyond the actual, um, the music, the score, there are actually some highlights in like other parts of sound design. Like I love the fact that the, um, I forget what it's called exactly, but the, the ape detector is a theremin. I just think that's a really nice touch. Right. Very spooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the radar thing. Yeah. The yeah. Mon- monkey radar, whatever it's called. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yes. I mean, 
by all means talk about the the effects as well. I think overall the the sound design is is really strong. Um, that that noise when you capture a monkey in the time net mm-hmm. combined with the with the analog rumble is is sublime. The actual uh, the alerts that the monkeys give you that they're in the area, followed by their reactions to being uh, spotted or or hunted down, I think are all great. Uh, a lot of the sound effects suffer, if that's the right word, from being of the era in that they kind of cut in and cut out very abruptly. And there's not a lot of um, a lot of the the stuff that's really changed in video games over the last 10, 20 years is the stuff that's very kind of subtle, which is the transition of sound. And we'll talk more about this on the Monkey Island 2 show because they actually debuted a system of transitioning music in that game that was so complicated to use that they never used it again. But <laughs> since then, the industry has moved on and sound transitions now without us barely even noticing. But in this case, it's this is one of the things I think you do notice when you go back to games of this era is that the sound just transitions like the, so you'll go from... Stop, stop. Uh, you're, You'll be next to a machine and it will be making a clanking noise and then you'll walk three feet away and it's completely silent, that kind of thing. But overall, I think the sound uh, sound effects are great as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a cheekiness to it. Um, it's not quite J-pop, but there's there's a there's an energy to it, if that makes sense. It's just, it, it just makes you want to be within the world. But I would, I would say, I agree with you, there is a, an issue with loops. Certainly if you find yourself dying multiple times and hearing, and, and some of the, long, the levels towards the end get longer and longer. So you can find yourself... You know, rather than the earlier levels, you just quickly kind of rush in and rush back out again. And everything's fine. If you find yourself playing somewhere for an hour plus, you, yeah, it can get a little bit, you know, grating. But yeah, I, it's it's fun. It, that's that's what I think is the overall image of it. Is the music was just fun, which then you know bleeds into the visuals and then the catching and and the actual design of, as I said before, you know, the actual catching and the monkeys is sublime. It's still sublime. I, it's still one of those things we've talked about this on many shows. You know, the individual sounds from individual games. You can play it to to most people, and they would you know if they had a backlog history, they would know exactly what that noise is. I feel mm. that ape escape net capture moment may well fall happily into that category if I could just whip that out and play that to somebody who's had a you know a game in history they go oh yeah Ape Escape it was uh, the director's uh, decision to ask uh, Tarada to compose the music after he'd heard uh, his track Sumo Jungle uh, and talking about transition, the music does change in the game uh, at points, but this is only depending on your 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 stance, your posture. So in this game, you can click down on the analog stick to crawl to sneak up on monkeys, and you can even click them both to curl up into a little ball, and the music actually uh, gets quieter and more stealthy. Uh, so there, I think there's three stages of each tune depending on uh, depending on how stealthy you're being at the time. So that's quite a nice touch. Brian, how did you feel about the soundtrack? I really. Uh dig the soundtrack i much like charlotte I've, i sought it out on spotify afterwards i uh mm-hmm. in replaying uh the levels to to catch the extra the monkeys i missed the first time through um i got a real affinity for the for the beach soundtrack i think it's it's quite mm-hmm. stellar for especially that era um to where it is very loopy and, and as tony said that if you play the same section you can kind of become grating but I, right from the beginning like it just it's got a peppiness to it just an upbeat mm. like just a just a pulsing you know driving force forward with that kind of like that you know almost the sciency kind of synthy background um that really i thought was appropriate for each level i um i've listened to it quite a bit um after the fact too um, nice. uh, via spotify so um i mean I, I i tend to collect video game soundtracks on spotify and itunes as it is anyway and this one is definitely part of my regular rotation now because i, I it gives me fond memories of those levels despite 
some frustrations therein. Simon Sloth from the forum, though, says the only parts of the game which I found irritating all these years later were the woefully bad voice acting and the overall (laughs) soundtrack, which sounded like nails across a chalkboard in terms of appeal to my ears. I mm. rarely turn the sound off in games, but I frequently did when playing this. I, I would say, though, it sets its stall out from the very opening credits. Like, it, oh, you, yeah. you load in and it's just, bam, it's in your face. It's like, yeah. And, and at, at times it even is a, a touch strange. I mean, not that much of a story there, but they're like, you know, the world's in danger of these monkeys, uh, you know, if this continues with these monkeys. It's like, okay, yeah, let's, yeah, let's go. The world's in danger. Happy times. And there is a, there's a monkey doing the monkey to the opening sound uh, soundtrack as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Kez86 from the forum says, Love the game. I am thankful to Apescape as it introduced me to the sounds of the master DJ Soichi Tarada, whose music is a fantastic blend of Western house and Eastern soundscapes. It wasn't until discovering Soichi's music that I then realised he was composer for the Apescape. This made me like his music and the game even more. Uh, the sound effects for the in-game were produced by Masaki Kaneko, while the sound effects in the cutscenes were provided by Masatoshi Mizumachi. There you go. So let's talk gameplay. We've already touched upon the 3D platforming and so on and so forth and the control and the feel. But obviously we want to talk more about the gadgets and the twin analog sticks and the control system as a whole. Uh, month from the forum says the short and sweet of it is that I had a lot of fun with this game the controls I love the controls I really appreciate a game that has a very off not immediate controls that take a learning curve god hand mgs3 resident evil 4 so he's putting ape escape in some pretty <laughs> high company there ho oh boy gotta love that skyflyer oh boy. Yeah, no, no you do not <laughs> I don't think he is being sarcastic I think that was yeah I think that was utterly utterly genuine isn't it more of a a situation of a game of its era where there was not a standard set of controls for every single game there is now like yeah. there's a template now we all know That's this we've talked about it. it many times but you know I yeah. look at that that list of games and they're all yeah they're all I mean maybe Resident Evil 4's a little bit later in that, but you know, I think Metal Gear Solid Three was obtuse just for the sake of being obtuse. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, PlayStation One uh, era is absolutely full of games with controls which are batshit bonkers um, to this kind of modern day standard. Um, but they still work. You know, you learn them for a little while, and it takes a while if you're coming back from this as a, a modern gamer. Like, why jump on that? Okay, fine. Yeah, that mm. I guess that works fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. How did we feel about the shoulder button for jumping? I always felt, for whatever reason, might be the age of the controller, which is about the same age as this game, uh, give or take, uh, that although it works absolutely fine, even through the adapter, I always felt like just uh, mentally, I couldn't (laughs) feel like I was relying on it as much as I would. I I think it was a combination of the stickiness of the shoulder button, Mm. not not because the controller's sticky, just because the controller's old and that's how they were, uh, combined with the frame rate of the game that I never felt as completely, you know, utterly as in control as I would want to with a contemporary game of a similar nature. Um, I feel like the control scheme felt like it was sort of working a few things out with Mm. how to make use of the analog stick. It felt a bit like a prototype in a way. Um, And I kind of, I've, I've been through when I, when I first got my PS3, um, I realized that a lot of games now use circle as back and not triangle. And that took me a while to figure out that change. For sure, yeah. But this was so radically different that it did really... Like, once I'd played the game for a couple of hours, I got used to it, but it did take 
a bit of getting used to. And to go back to what Demonth is saying, um, I feel exactly the same way about the Metal Gear Solid <laughs> games. And I keep throwing my character on the floor all the time because I, I cut my brain can't get around the controls. So I would say actually probably one of the negative points I have about this game is that it really feels like the control scheme is more like a prototype than anything. Um, and that maybe future games sort of perfected the mold of how to use the analog stick configuration properly. Funny what funny you're saying that though. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, but actually, I think the Ape Escape series or two and three, both on the PS2, actually pretty much stuck with the exact same control system because for this particular setup of gadgets, you know, needing shortcuts for gadgets and having those four buttons and then having them operate in mm. in an analog fashion, it seems to it seem to be the the way to do it for this particular this game. Which I think, yeah, Ape Escape is kind of a, a quite a singular. Thing. I don't think there's not many games that are quite exactly like it. It's not really, although it obviously shares lots in common. We've already mentioned Mario 64, but also other 3D platformers, Jack and Daxter and Banjo-Kazooie and whatever else. It still feels to me like a slightly, like a, a slight tangent from those games. Control for the gadgets a lot of times, specifically with the stun club and the time net, I thought was really mm. great. I didn't, I mean, I would definitely have those instances where I would stun a, stun a monkey and then hit the right analog second. It wouldn't be the precise distance or, you know, angle that I needed to, 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 to catch yeah. them. The, the ones that I had a major issue with were the ones that involved rotating the right stick. Yes. I could not, there's a specific level in the, um, it's called, I think it's called hot, cold mountain, or I can't remember exactly, but you have to specifically time a double jump. That's and Mario. Then, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I really, yeah, I can't remember <laughs> the exact name of it. It's a, but you, you, basically you get to the top and there's a few monkeys that are in these hot springs at the top of a mountain. Yeah. But you have to do a double jump time perfectly uh, timed and then at the peak of that double jump, spin your sky flyer. And I just struggle with that any time I was forced to do it. And I'm not sure if it's just my my old thumbs not being able to spin it up as quick as I should. Maybe maybe the controller, but I have a feeling that I have played similar controls in other modern games where they've utilized the right stick as something like that and still suffered with it so yeah yeah i think that's true but i also think the sequels possibly did a better job of reading your inputs partly yeah. to do with the frame i think the frame rate here probably plays an issue i don't it plays a part and i'm not sure it um is responding as it should be because i certainly found both the super hoop and the the sky flyer a little bit inconsistent also the timing on that second part if you want to do a double jump you pretty much have to do the second part straight away mm-hmm. the the window is gone otherwise there's no diving late like you might in 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 a mario game or doing your second like a lot of games you'll do a second part of the double jump to st- save yourself from falling damage you can't do that in this but you can you can spin up the sky flyer late on yes. i also found a lot of frustration where uh the there were very deliberately bits where you just you know the the next set of the next sequence of the level was just at the absolute peak that you could get to on the sky flyer but then other levels it was deliberately just out of reach that you couldn't get there with the sky flyer uh, and the game would do things like not allow you to to sky fly as high as you could in other places basically because you were hitting the top of the level or, or the top of the bit that you were allowed to go to so there's a lot of kind of shortcutting here and and um kind of blocking the player off uh because where where a, another game a more modern game or a game by nintendo from the era or something might have had a more freedom i felt there was more restrictions on on what you could do here in in terms of uh locomotion 
I think the concept of it is really good though. I like I like the idea of the sky flyer, and when it works, it it's you know it it feels good. Yeah. Floating down's better than flying up. I felt on the whole. <laughs> yeah. I feel like though it's interesting when you say that there was sort of limitations on how you could use the sky flyer because the um, legit tactic for um, the Ape Escape speedrun is to um, elevate yourself out of the stage so you're like oh. above the stage and can drop down into the bits huh. that you need to. And so you there's s- gaps on the polygons, essentially. Yeah. yeah, right. I can believe it. I can very well believe it. Yeah, I didn't watch any speedruns, but I know this is a, a scene that you're into, doing some uh, research and interviews for us at the moment. Look out on uh, Kane and Rince for that. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, I assume... With this game, as in as with many, there are both any percent runs and all monkey runs. Mm-hmm. So yes, the Stun Club, which we've already talked about, it does look a bit like a knockoff lightsaber. It's actually a brutally cruel device uh, <laughs> that you use for Cattle beating. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Be- beating these poor little innocent apes. Uh, in real life, I'm very much an animal lover. I've been a vegetarian for decades, uh, but in this game, even though I adore these characters and monkeys, they would be quite annoying at times. Another little element of the game and the controls and the sort of the systems that would irritate me was the getting just close enough to net them, but not close enough so that they would do their little flurry punch attack. Yes. Uh, and and <laughs> getting losing a, a cookie of health. This game, you have five cookies denoting your health, five hits and you're out kind of thing. Uh, there were a lot of... And this was part, I put this partly down to my analog controller issues because I always had to approach them from weird angles because I couldn't just run straight at them. Uh, but yes, there were, there, again, just to do with the sensitivity of the controls and the dead zones on the sticks and the frame rates, there were points where I was taking damage that I felt my gameplay should be superior enough to have avoided, if you see what I mean. Yeah, though on the other hand, um, this game is pretty generous with um, if you die, then you keep your status with how many monkeys you've caught. Yes, yes, there's cookie jars around uh, quite commonly. Most enemies will give you, uh, there are various enemies around us. We, we haven't said this, there are sort of environmental enemies around the levels that you can bat away or shoot down and they will often pop into ammo for your slingshot or sometimes cookies of health also you've got shards of whatever why because it's video games but little <laughs> little little triangular debris which eventually add up to lives towards the end of the game and obviously i was using uh, save states a bit to save my sanity uh, but i did have 25 20 to 25 lives as mm. i was doing the final section mm. Uh, there's a lot of it starts to be quite generous with the one ups, the T-shirts that you can pick up towards the end of the game. And, and again, I think I felt like that was its own internal mitigation against the, the increasingly demanding platforming. Uh, Charlotte, I know getting slightly ahead here, but I know you said you had uh, you record. I mean, probably a, just a wild estimate, but you said something like 50 lives on the final sort of platforming <laughs> section. I don't even, I, I, I lost count. I'm, I think it was probably about 50. And I think yeah. in total, it took me about four hours to get past the oh, final man. platforming bit. Oh, yeah. seething. Ouch. Yeah. Because the problem is they don't, um, usually they're also very good with checkpoints. But in that specific bit, it's the bit with the, um, where you, there's a very narrow ledge and also the bouncy platforms. And just basically yes. it's the final yeah. test with yeah. everything. Yeah. Yep. And <laughs> if you if you fall off at any point, then you get sent straight back to the beginning. So That's where save states were, were a, a real time saver and stress saver. But obviously you don't necessarily have the luxury. Probably a bit weird. And I think this probably plays into the part maybe where I jumped off playing Ape Escape back originally. Is I'm sure in my head there was a lot more ape catching than there was platforming 
And actually, I feel the mm. game towards the back end um, focuses mm. a bit more, or a bit too much time on the actual platforming to get to apes than the actual fun of catching the apes. And I feel like, it, you know, a better game, and, you know, maybe in the series it, it changes along the way, that they could have spent a bit more time with just having fun catching apes. And I, I felt like the game didn't need the platforming that it ended up going towards towards the end. And once again, you know, you can't I keep comparing it to games of, of around the time. But there there just wasn't there wasn't the uh finesse in the game design to allow some of the the um the platforming that the game was asking you to do. I mean, it, mm. it, it wasn't as fun to do that platforming. It was like, you mm. know, I was having fun catching a monkey. Now I've got to traverse across here. And, you know, the, the game design, um, the level design just isn't quite up to scratch. And, you know, it's like not broken environments, but you could kind of start to see the edges of level a bit too much because oh, as yeah. you got you yeah. know, frustrated and moving mm. the camera, um, you know, and it doesn't have quite a good enough camera to to allow that stuff to feel just you know fun in its own right, and you know the lack of a you know a decent shadow landing on the ground. And I was just going to mention that there is a shadow, but yeah, there is. This is something we talked about from a a game that's even ten years older than this one. Recently, we talked about Pilot Wings on the Super Nintendo and the lack of visual information at times on screen and to let you know where you are. Modern games, we've got loads of particles and various dynamic lighting that gives us all again invisibly without us really thinking about it. Loads of information. Whereas in this game, you've just got wobbly polygons. You've got no sense of distance, often or height and things like that. Which, which unless you're looking in exactly the right place to see the shadow, which is there, mm. you are just judging things. By eye. I guess overall, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the the earlier levels in the game are very much like super happy fun time. It's you know let's catch some monkeys, and by the time yeah. the back end of the game, it's like, well, are you a gamer? It's and I don't know, that's a horrible time. Are you are you willing to put the time into to master the yeah. controls and the platforming? Mm. And I and I never really felt like the game needed that i think it should have just mm. been a bit more kind of super happy fun time gaming. More pu- more puzzles maybe you know yeah. Um, those, mm. I, I was. I wanted to say, talking, g- going through the gadgets, the one that I thought was genius at the time, or at least even when I played the PS2, the first PS2 game, and still do now, and think the implementation is superb, is the RC car. Uh, I just, uh, I'm sure this other games have done stuff of along these so. lines, but the the levels where you're, or the sections where you're, you will uh, an RC car into life, and then you control it with the right analog simultaneously while you're controlling your character and you're sort of alternating between the two to activate platforms and stuff. I just thought those were, you know, just sensationally well designed and incredibly satisfying to complete. Yes, the camera would get in the way sometimes and you'd have to do little workarounds and stuff. But overall, I thought that stuff was more interesting than the, you know, balance on the, perfect on the rotating yeah. barrel. Yeah. And I think the the part of the platforming that, that bothered me the most was that none of the levels leading up to that end level, the Spectre's Castle level of the game, had really prepared you for any of that. Mm, it's right. not like these are sections we had seen before, like kind of, you know, in, in the way that a lot of platforming games go, that final level is just kind of an amalgamation of every puzzle you've seen so far, you know, as this section and that section. And, but um, like those bouncing platforms that Charlotte had mentioned before, though mm. the the 
judging the distance between those, I mean, it was just, it was just like she said, maddening. And it was made very clear by the fact that every time you respond, there was a one up directly in front of you <laughs> so that you knew that, you know, you knew kind of what you were in for, but, but like to what you said, Leanne, there were some of the puzzle solving sections and some of just the working out the solutions for how to get, you know, there's this monkey behind this cage. How do I get to him? How do I get him out? Um, that really were the best parts of the game. So it, there is a real dichotomy there between, um, how how great some of those puzzle solving sections felt and how satisfying, you know, sussing out the solution was versus the platforming section where it really did feel forced to be like, well, we have to make getting to Spectre a chore. So how do we do that? And, it, you know, it, it did kind of the, the two hands didn't really, you know, uh, shake each other very well, in my opinion. And I feel like the um, so that final platforming section, the reason I was getting really annoyed at it was because it didn't feel like genuine difficulty to me. It felt like difficulty by way of frustration, because I just felt like um, there was a bit where you had to do the double jump and the um, sky flyer mm. and get it exactly right. Or you would fall off the stage. And that just felt like cheap to me. It didn't feel like genuine platforming difficulty but rather by design ps1 platforming games are hard get used to it sucker which i thought sort of i suppose at the time mm. that would have uh, would have been fair into a degree like i think you would have overcome it mm. just because that's probably your game that you've got for the, the month or two and you know it's yeah. you know, obviously game design has, has come on leaps and bounds but yeah i, I do feel that that's uh it is a, a thing of its era where I'm not, I'm mm. not surprised. I'm, I've certainly played many other games that are very similar to Apescape in that same game design. And I think, yeah, it, we've learned a lot of lessons, which is a positive thing, right? As Brian was saying, the whole um, whenever you solve a puzzle, like uh, the monkey scampering out of the little hole at the bottom of the, the cage when he realized that the RC car could spook him out. That, <laughs> that's just really satisfying mm-hmm. watching him like run, up, run away in fear. Kind, <laughs> of, kind of horrible thing to say, but it's cute watching the monkey run away in fear. <laughs> the uh the slingshot certainly uh i found uh, again i really like the sort of you know the pulling back on the stick to fire it it's like a catapult basically and uh uh that was a, a absolute fixture of uh comics and uh and school-based dramas when we were kids growing up in the 70s although i don't think they were actually popular uh since probably the 40s or 50s but I did have some issues sort of uh, on certain areas, switching back and forwards between the aiming and the, the mm. first person camera and the pulling and the, and the different ammo types, clicking through the different ammos. Just, it was just a bit fiddly, I felt, but uh, seldom too demanding. They, they tend to give you enough time. I, I cycled through about a few stages. Well, I cycled through a few stages of the final boss with the slingshot, you know, when you have to hit the little, um, the, the buttons on his arms to make mm. them blow up. Um, I, I missed three or four cycles because I was fiddling about with the camera and the slingshot. I want to talk a little about underwater, talking about sort of lack of visual information and famously, obviously, uh, every, not quite every, because we did Aladdin recently, which which has no underwater section, (laughs) but... uh, Many, many platformers from the era had underwater sections. They still do, but I think, uh, again, designers have got better at making them uh, more exciting and adventurous rather than torturous and and whatever. But here, um, what I will say is that although, again, the graphics are incredibly limited compared to something uh, contemporary, the the waters uh, the water still manages to look and feel quite nice. I think in this game, um, what I would say is that the the, the air meter is is really quite tight for time, mm. isn't it? He can't hold his breath very long, this little fella. And even when you zoom in about with your with your special underwater uh, net thing, water net, I think that's it. 
it's quite easy to end up running low on air. And then again, because of that lack of visual information, uh, we're not really realising how deep you are until it's too late. Having said that, I think I only lost one one life in the game to being underwater, but uh, uh, it was a an unwelcome return to all those memories of desperately fiddly trying to get hold of small items underwater by you know flipping backwards and forwards. And again, you know, made me think of Mario sixty four. I agree. <laughs> no, <laughs> as always, underwater sections are a a. a mind of their own both controls wise visual wise that that yeah <laughs> and in yeah. A, a playstation one game such as this <laughs> i thought and i said it before the the use of the l3 button even though they didn't call it the l3 the clicking in the analog stick really was a unique way to to control your depth and i figured I, 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 yeah that was one of my most frustrating parts of of 3d section with water games whether it's mm-hmm. your super mario 64 or banjo kazooie is getting the angle quite right to go down mm-hmm. to where you were so only having to worry about my R1 button for my speed and then just using the L the, the analog stick to kind of adjust my height. I, I really thought it was ahead of its time. I, um, the, I didn't, when I, when I noticed that there would be a tunnel underwater or a monkey that was under the water, I didn't immediately sigh. Like I would in yeah. other games of the air and be like, Oh man, here we go. And, and that shooting, the net shooting thing is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it gives, it's a wide window for success there too. So yeah. you don't have to be right on top of, 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 no. of, of an ape to, to get them right. I, it's true. I really, um, I, I didn't, it's not like, it's not like I was looking forward to say, yay, a water section, but also it didn't throw me off the, the track. Like it might it could have, have made that games. way fiddlier. Couldn't they with the actual catching of the monkeys underwater, which would have been, yes, <laughs> there's a couple of vehicles and, uh, one comment, I think I saw, I can't remember if it was on the forum or Twitter was saying, oh, you know, uh, get ready for the, for the rubber raft, uh, sort of thing. But I actually thought that was really cool. Like, yes, it is a bit tricky, uh, to use the twin analog sticks as if they are oars, but actually I thought it was really neat. I also loved the way that it, this game gave you the freedom to jump in and out of the raft at will. Um, there are bits in the water. Actually, the water's very rarely as hostile as it kind of makes out to be. There are a couple of sections where I'd first go in and be like, oh, there's loads of big fish and electrocuting jellyfish and goodness knows what else. By the late, later in the game, when I was going back for monkeys, I was just swimming around in there. I was fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I rather like the controls. And, and they also, of course, give you a tank, which uses tank controls, like proper battle zone style tank controls. Uh, and it's again, it's a little fiddly and they put you on a track and stuff. But it was a nice moment of catharsis being able to shoot giant walls out with cannons. Um, my only regret is that the tank is very flimsy, it only takes about three hits from a monkey flying saucer and it's, it explodes. But at least it doesn't kill you when it explodes. So uh, any fun or horrors with the vehicles? I absolutely hated the raft. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. OK, I don't think you're the only one. Uh, as well, I know you're not. As I say, from uh, you just uh, you just found yourself. Have you done much uh, much kayaking in real life? <laughs> nope, not a single second. That's probably of kayaking. the issue. Yeah, <laughs> and neither is she. Yeah, <laughs> for the time, I, I like the idea that they added that in um, as a you know, as a, a not gimmick, but you know, as as something that you know utilizes the controller to its fullest, even though it is a typical rough, um, which is quite hard to control. I thought the tank was fun though. I enjoyed the tank. Like I say, it's super flimsy for a tank, but um, yeah. seeing big chunks of scenery drop is um, yes. is yeah visually pleasing. Huge polygons. Mm. Oh, yeah. Huge. They're just a polygon. <laughs> yeah. Super sized. <laughs> yeah. Boy, those textures, though, eh? Mr. Ixalite from the forum says, In a way, Ape Escape was my Mario 64. 
Not that it was my first 3D platformer, that honour goes to Crash Bandicoot, but it expanded how exactly games could work. For one thing, the levels were mostly devoid of exits and were instead defined by whatever order you caught the monkeys, culminating in time trials that involves more strategy than twitch reflexes. Bosses only arrive at the back end of the game and visual damage indicators instead of health bars. But the biggie is, of course, the analogue controls, which had young me spending considerable time rowing in circles and flailing the <laughs> propeller impotently above me. In retrospect, I lay some of the blame on the off-brand, gigantic, uncomfortable analogue controller I got from my well-meaning parents. Because the controls in this game are spot on, with great tactile feeling to everything from swinging your club to steering an RC car into an unsuspecting ape, that damn boat is still pretty bad though. Revisiting the game for this podcast, I was surprised how well it holds up. The core gameplay loop is rock solid to the point that the game can yank the final encounter with Spectre from you not one, but four times, and all I think is great more game. The circus is a space station now. Awesome. In terms of presentation, the time travel framing may be underutilised in the stage design and some of the enemies look weirdly out of place, but levels are expansive and colourful, and even with the graphical limitations of a PS1, they've packed a ton of character into the monkeys. The plot also has a vibe all of its own, with an emphatically stated but poorly worded theme of power not being the true strength, which I don't think I've ever noticed before. And despite his dialogue being mostly variants on So, you've come this far. See you later. Spectre is an oddly compelling villain. Apescape is a pretty singular experience among 3D platformers, with every aspect of the game oozing personality. But most importantly, the rush of catching a cheeky, occasionally missile-launching simian with a well-timed swing of your net is still one of the most satisfying feelings in all of gaming. Thank you, Mr. Ixalite. Yeah, so 100%ing a level. You can go back, uh, you can, or you can do some of them first time around. Uh, most of them require you going back with items that you get later in the game. You don't have to wait until you've finished the sort of first run of the story. You can start revisiting early, as I did. I did go back and 100% a few of the levels. But doing the 100%, getting all the Spectre tokens, or just um, as well, is another is a, another thing to do, which unlocks something else. We'll come on to. But c catching all the monkeys unlocks a time attack for the level. Good practice for speedrunners, but I, I can't imagine now that, well, yeah, I guess it's for the hardcore. The speedrun option is there. The, the time attack option is there, but I can't see myself revisiting to uh, better my best times on these classic antique levels. Yeah, the time attack uh, feature, I tried going back for maybe the first two or three levels. And the first yeah. few were OK because they're the limited amount of monkeys. But once yeah. I realized that I was trying to you know, plot my best route with Spike and the yes. different things. I just, I got about three or four levels in and said, well, this is a novel feature and then probably never going to try it again. Yeah, it's for its little uh, small audience of devotees like speedrunning, I guess, any particular, any particular one game. But I think uh, a lot of that speedrunning, Charlotte will know more, more about this than I, but I think it often comes out of people being already being completely in love with a certain game and kind of organically just wanting to replay it and replay it and then realizing that they're getting faster and faster and starting mm -hmm. to learn the shortcuts and then that's kind of metamorphosis into speed running before you know mm -hmm. it i don't know but then maybe these days people are actually just actively targeting games to speed run because there's a whole scene around it maybe they're not games that they were ever particularly affectionate for but i i, I don't know about you guys but i can't imagine speed running a game that i didn't really like or love <laughs> it would drive me insane it has to be a component like even if that's not why you come to the game i think you have to enjoy it otherwise you, you either drive yourself insane or you stop before you get anywhere 
it's not compatible speed running particularly with doing cane and rinse certainly not hosting 35 shows a year as i do because <laughs> you know, whatever it is in the level the dark ruins a little easter egg there are four monkeys that are named kyle stan kenny and cratman after the main characters of south park it is unknown why cartman is misspelled as cratman <laughs> could be an error i love it oh, i like cratman a lot more yeah, that mm. was, uh, you know, South, South Park was only two years over, uh, two years old at this point. The tide of opinion that now seems to be turning against those guys was uh, was a long way off. Mm-hmm. Pacing, progress and polishing off. So, Brian, you've done this. Tony, have you got everything? Did you do everything? I, I messed around like a, everyone kind of finished finished the game up and then went back into the earlier levels and enjoyed because yeah. it, it, it happens really fast. You catch one monkey. It's like, yeah, the, you have 100%. Oh, cool. Yep. Well, I'm going to do this for the yeah. rest. And then no, realize actually they got like, up and up and up. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, they're huge. Some of the levels are really big, aren't they? Yeah. But then I did, you know, because of that, I did then go and have a look on, on YouTube at the, the secret ending, 100% yeah. ending. So I found that fascinating. And Well, I, I tend to really enjoy, we, I know, completely different game, but we, we covered Doom 2016 recently. And actually one of my, my, some of my funnest times of playing that game were going back and hoovering up mm. the secrets and collectibles oh, in that man, game. As, as someone who's into achievements, I, I, I know my way around having to go back into games yeah. and doing yeah. everything in them. So, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if they had an achievement to get on all the monkeys at the time, I'd probably be absolutely it. be doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. going back to the, I believe they did add trophies to the PS4 incarnation. Uh, but yes, going back to those early levels, uh, I, I very much got that same sort of vibe. It's like, ah, that, and it, there's also an element of the Metroidvania about it because you get, like, punch you get back, after you, yeah, you get the, well, you get the magical punch, which mm-hmm. s- smashes, which can kill their, most enemies and also uh, metal boxes. And yeah, it sort of empowers you. It gives you a, a sense of the, the, the vulnerability you feel on your first playthrough is, is diminished <laughs> by that, which I think is entirely deliberate. It also knocks out the monkeys for a longer period of time mm-hmm. and has yes. a long reach. So the, yes. the idea of running up on a monkey and him getting away from you very quickly kind of goes out the window. Is that partly why you think you were moved to go back and get the rest of the... I don't know how many you finished with. I I, I finished with like 140 or something yeah. of the 204. Yeah. Uh, so it would be a fair old bit of work to go back and get them all. Do you remember how many you finished with? It was 138. Um, where, where when, I beat, when I beat the game, it was 138. 66 to get. And I had I had the conversation in my head, like, is this something I really want to do? I know there's <laughs> yeah. another ending. But, you know, it really just took a couple nights of good old-fashioned anxiety-induced insomnia to just kind of stay up. Well, I'll just catch a couple more catch up a couple more and it kind of worked out the thing that i really love about this game probably my favorite part about this game which i didn't realize until after going back with all the gadgets and everything at my disposal is the monkey radar is really good mm. it makes yes. you feel like clever. you're like you're not wasting your time i didn't feel going back into any of these levels now there was one that i called it um hot cold mountain it was called hot springs oh, okay where the platforming really i mean i probably spent an hour getting these last two monkeys on this one level so it was frustrating right. But that mm. wasn't it was I was never felt like I was just blindly searching for where they were located. No. And mm. I, I really appreciated that. It felt like I went in there with all the tools at my disposal and the game wasn't wasting my time. I could just switch over to that gadget, flick my right stick around like, OK, this way. And there we go. And it, you could tell if it didn't trigger any alerts in your area that you weren't in the yeah. right area. You just go to the yes. next section and it would cleverly lead you to the yeah. next section as well. I, uh, do you know this game actually really reminded me, even though I think it was about two or three years before the first incarnation of that series, it reminded me of Monster Hunter between oh, the yeah. segment, the segues between the levels and the tracking things from 
from section to section. The difference is here, the monkeys can't transition themselves, but, but I'm, I'm sure you see my point. But even if you think about um, like modern Mario's, you know, you can get, you can run end credits and then off you go back in. If you, if you yeah. now challenge yourself and I, I, I appreciated, I think probably that's what they would have been better off doing and saving some of the more harder platforming sections for the people that saw the end credits roll. Mm. Then, see if you can achieve this to get to the final monkey. I think that would have yeah. been a, a better way round of, uh, for, certainly for pacing. I, I um, finished with the lowest amount of monkeys, I think, out of all is 129 monkeys. Is that the bare minimum monkeys? <laughs> I got the monkeys. Maybe yeah. one or two. <laughs> I was like really not catching many of the monkeys on the, the, the spectre levels. Yeah. And I was sure in the earliest levels, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. I'm going to complete it after I've finished it. And this is yeah. going to be great because like, I don't always, I very often just stop a game once I've finished it. Yeah. But that platforming level just completely, <laughs> I just did not want to see the game after I'd finished it. After right. spending four hours on not even one level, but one section of a level. I was just, uh, that put yeah. me off doing the completionist. Yeah, but do. I think I think with a little bit of distance, maybe one or two mm. months, mm. I will go back and get more monkeys, I think. I have a feeling that I had a similar experience with the second game before I definitely finished, I definitely got the normal ending and I definitely started going back through. And I don't know whether I got distracted or I had a similar thing of some of those later levels are a bit of a pain. Uh, I think about this one, as I say, I only finished it, got the, the normal ending yesterday. Uh, if it hadn't been for the controller issues and if I was playing it on original hardware or, or even a PS2, but without the analog controller issues, I think I would be tempted to go back and carry on it again if I had time and, and whatever else. But uh, I, I enjoyed it enough to want to do what Brian did. But Brian, you did do it. It really wasn't as much of a time sink as I thought it was. Yeah. I'm a bit of a I'm I'm a bit of a crazy person when it comes to playing games. So I I I keep handwritten journals of the games I play and how long I've played them. I keep my own time for games that don't have their time clocks or whatever. Nice. So I I completed mm-hmm. the campaign, just just the main thing after seven hours forty five minutes played, and I co- and I had right. all the monkeys after nine hours forty five minutes uh, played. Okay. So it really only yeah. took two extra hours to go back and mm. collect the rest of them. Um, which I think once I started going, the numbers were definitely. I was looking at the number I'm like, man, do I really want to do sixty more of these? And then I started playing the levels they were coming relatively Thick quickly fast. Those, yeah those early ones yeah. they really do dish them out fast and then on top of that mm. some of the some of the puzzle solving and some of the encounters to get those last few are some of the best in the game and mm-hmm. i really mm. the one thing I, I wrote down that i just uh, that i was really surprised by is that some of my favorite moments of collect of the actual collecting of the monkeys in the levels came after i had beaten the game yeah that's what i figured There's some sections where i mean they have these weird tree bosses that you hadn't seen before yes. where you've got a yeah and so i, I did went, a few of those saw them, yeah, yeah I, I never saw them during the first part of the game there were some rc no. car um puzzles early on that were interesting and and some kind of chasing uh you know the the monkeys would run in a patterns you had to kind of set up these traps to say it was it was really it was really fun so as i kept going on it really wasn't too bad and i the only i only had the one the one real hiccup on that one level but i never got to a point once i started doing it i'm like oh like i got 20 monkeys in the first half an hour i'm definitely gonna do this so it doesn't take that that much time to go back through and do it it's just you know committing your mind to saying that yes i'm gonna go back and do all this once again i always appreciate the you know, the extra stuff you can do if you're into it, but it it still disappoints me hearing you say that and then going, oh, I missed out some of the cooler parts of the gameplay just because yeah. it was kind of held away. I I understand, um, but equally it's not seeing the the true ending in the game, and it's like it's 
it's cool. It's a cool kind of, it's a nice ending, a better way to finish the game off rather than just having Spectre blink off into the distance and saying, I'll be back. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> it, the game would have been, think, I think, better for having uh, contained that ending in particular. So, I don't know. Mm. The only thing that was disappointing about the whole collecting of the rest of the monkeys was the final boss encounter with Spectre after doing all that is really underwhelming. I mean, but like when I watched the guy oh, on the speedrun, oh, he boy. I mean he took it down really fast with just a catapult. So I don't oh know. yeah, it was a, it was the first try without even really yep. thinking about it. Um, oh, is it not hard? No, I, 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 no, not oh, at all. I expected it to be punishing and frustrating oh that's good to know no yeah it's it didn't it didn't take much of much thought at all if it, if you had paid attention during any of the previous mm. boss encounters it, i mean i think it was right. less than five minutes and and i was i was seeing specter you know being reunited with but his you trainer do get a triple gotcha 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 when you capture him at the end yes right? oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. pretty sweet <laughs> i was really hoping oh. i'd get to use the net on him too because you have to stun him a bunch he's got kind of this sphere yeah. of like mm. shield around him and every time i knocked him down i immediately spammed the net on him because i just wanted to get that feeling of you know catching the last one um but no it yeah. was it was well worth it in in my opinion to go back and do um because it because it really wasn't much of a time sink and uh and some of the monkey puzzles were, I mean, and that just, once again, not to, not to be redundant, it, that just proved to me what I loved about the game as, as a whole, looking back on it, the platforming sections and all that stuff was, was frustrating. But, but when you came across a, an interesting puzzle and then you, you turn the corner and this wide eyed monkey, you know, starts shooting his gun at you or gets into an UFO and starts blasting, you know, like those are the, those are the moments you play for. And there were a lot of those in the cleanup process. Have you played any others in the series then? No, I uh, I was uh, telling Leon on, on the Slack chat the other day that I, I I don't have a copy of two, but I'm going to seek one out okay. pretty soon because I'd I'd love to see where it goes. The, as I say, the PS4 version is cheap, upscaled, and has trophies. So, other bosses? Did anyone have any fond or, or frustrating memories of of the boss fights? As as our correspondent said, most of them are towards the latter half of the game. Uh, I thought they were uh, generally quite well judged in terms of difficulty from my point of view. Not. To, uh, normally a, a few cookies lost to I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing mm. here followed by uh, relatively not drawn out but um, you know sort of slightly attritional fights the, the, I think um, perhaps communication in terms of visually wasn't as strong as you'd hope from a from a, a modern game in terms of weak spots in some cases they're very obvious but in other cases I felt Actually, what I was supposed to be doing was not that apparent. Um, there's the interesting one, the uh, one of the earlier fights against Spectre uh, before the final, final fight. It's kind of Metal Gear Solid-ish in that um, he's looking at you through a camera and you're now controlling from a distance and, and just kind of running at him, uh, which is a slightly, uh, yeah, a curious wrinkle. But um, yeah, I thought they most of the bosses were, were all right. No, not stunning or spectacular, but not utterly frustrating as some bosses can be in certain games they were fine <laughs> and, I, and i say that in a good way because yeah many games of this era they are just you know control the break and inducing so the fact that they were Agreed. absolutely just fine um it's absolutely okay with me <laughs> simon sloth from the forum says ape escape is in my opinion as delightful now as it was on release I never really felt at the time that it was seen as anything other than the analog controller gimmick game, whereas it really was one of the finest examples of a 3D puzzle platformer on the PlayStation. Crash Bandicoot was seemingly touted as the PlayStation's answer to Mario, but I always felt, in terms of quality, Ape Escape was far the better comparison. The game still looks wonderful, especially on a cathode ray tube, 
The colours are extremely vibrant and have an almost Nintendo-esque quality to them. The game is extremely memorable in level, character and puzzle design, but above all else, it's still fun to play. On revisiting it recently and remembering the right stick didn't control the camera, I had flashbacks to the days of single-stick 3D platformers and how integral the camera was to their design. In Ape Escape, the gadgets are mapped to the right stick, meaning the camera is manipulated using the shoulder buttons. That's not right, it's the D-pad. Although you can go into first-person mode with L2. Which, despite how it sounds, is surprisingly effective. I can't recall a single moment where the camera got stuck in the scenery or I made a mistake because I couldn't see what I was doing. The same cannot be said about a large chunk of 3D platformers, both new and old. The actual act of finding all the apes was very fun, although I felt that locking the true ending behind all of the monkeys was perhaps unnecessary, as it became grating catching every single one by the end. I liked the little minigame arcade, and the main hub being in the game menu was lovely also. There are plenty of good design decisions throughout, like placing a respawning extra life before a tricky platforming sequence, turning a potential horrible experience into a fun and challenging one. Charlotte? (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) I think around this point in time, the whole concept of lives in games was starting to be questioned. Also, thank goodness for the monkey radar. Wonderful then, wonderful now. A fine game and one I would recommend to all. So you also mentioned the mini games. So you collect these spectre coins and unlock a little suite off in a side room of surprisingly fully featured mini games. Um, <laughs> Mr. Exolite says, shout out to the mini game corner, which was a major fixture of any multiplayer session in my home. I never bothered with ski kids, but I've untold, I've sold untold hours into the Zen like simplicity of Galaxy Monkey and nothing in the game has given me as sore thumbs as the chaotic flailing of Spectre boxing. One by one, uh, I've played a little of two of these. Ski Kids Racing, uh, a ski skiing game in which players race against opponents. I think it's got three courses. It's got several of the characters from the game in 2D. It's basically like a really simple, cool borders, Mario Kart kind of mashup. Uh, I, I wouldn't have said it really holds up, but it is kind of cute and funny. Spectre Boxing is the other one I, I got to try, but... Unfortunately, the analog, the aforementioned issue with pushing the analog six stick straight up meant that I couldn't really do punches uh, properly. So I could only side swipe uh, and not do enough damage. But it's quite an amusing precursor to arms, I would say, <laughs> the, the Switch game, because uh, you've got these kind of rubbery analog controlled fists, basically, uh, with boxing gloves. And Galaxy Monkey, I haven't seen or played, but it's a shoot 'em up. I wonder if there's a cheat to unlock it. I'd be tempted. I, um, I, didn't play much of Galaxy Monkey. I would just like to recognize that I would play a game called Galaxy Monkey if it was released today. <laughs> That's a great yeah. name. <laughs> Maybe they should do Galaxy Monkey HD. Sean S. Thomas, also from the forum, says, I remember being insanely excited for the launch of Ape Escape, partly because of the PlayStation magazine saying it was a Mario beta, partly because I'd bought the, the, the original dual analog controller to play G-Police and hadn't had an excuse to use it since. I'd only ever owned bargain basement Sega consoles and second-hand Amigas at this point, so my positive memories of the game may be skewed by a truly decent reference point, but I had a lot of fun with this game. It felt like Sony were desperate for a family-friendly, Mario-beating franchise, having launched Crash Bandicoot and Spyro already, both had done nothing for me. But Ape Escape was different and made me use a controller in a manner I'd never done before. It asked varied and imaginative things of you and those two analogue sticks continuing to evolve as the game went on. They arguably used the technology better than anything else I can think of since, and catching the apes 
Well, they seem more like monkeys to me, but monkey escape didn't have such nice diction to it. With the net was euphoric, fun and stupid. I spent many happy hours with Ape Escape and even bothered to track down just about every last secret it held. So yes, as I say, I don't think it's that unlikely we'll return to the series, but we certainly won't go through the entire set. I'm not even sure it's possible to play some of them now, uh, certainly not easily because, well, as you'll hear. So we've mentioned Ape Escape 2 a number of times, and that is available on PS4. Ape Escape 3 arrived in 2005, so it was a late era PS2 release, and I don't think it got a release outside of Japan. Ape Escape 3? Yeah. No, that was released. It's kind of rare now, though. Oh, okay. Oh, really? I think there were, there's ru- there were rumours that it was going to be released on the PS4, but nothing's come of that yet. Okay, that would be good. Uh, but yes, spin-off titles. Now, the first one, which I watched a video of uh, and shared it with uh, with you guys, this looks amazing. Pipasaru 2001, uh, July 2001. Uh, this is a, rather a different game in which you run around with a vacuum cleaner. I don't know how to say this. Sucking off monkey pants... To put them in a washing machine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a kind of it's a kind of high school game. It's sort of um, arcade style game, and and the idea is that you try to collect as many monkey pants at a time and deliver them into the washing machine simultaneously. So it's a bit like uh, Flicky or something like that. Uh, it's about getting as many sort of risk versus reward kind of high school situation. Uh, the video I watched was very complimentary. He said it you know perhaps wasn't the best game in the world ever but it was worth playing because it's absolutely hilarious and completely adorable i like that term risk versus reward there because the risk is not getting enough monkey pants and the reward yeah. is getting all the monkey pants <laughs> <So> <laughs> that, that term i, I really <laughs> I'm, I'm interested is what i'm saying i'm interested <laughs> well also the fact that you're collecting soiled monkey pants uh it's not much of a reward is it i mean depends what you're into <laughs> true uh, there was a game called Saru Get You Million Monkeys in July 2006, also PS2, even later PS2 game. Saru Get You Pip Saru Racer in December 2006 and Saru Get You Saru Saru Big Mission in July 2007 for the yeah. PSP. This is a big franchise, you see. Another spin-off, Ape Quest, was also released worldwide for PSP in January 2008. A series of party games. Ape Escape Pumped and Primed in July 2004. Uh, iToy Monkey Mania in August 2004. And Ape Academy 2 for PSP in December 2005. And PlayStation Move Ape Escape for the PS3 in December 2010. Bet jumping and doing the helicopter above your head with a PlayStation Move would work. <laughs> you see, yeah. from what I'd heard that uh, this might be a bit of a stretch and this could be pure speculation, but I got the impression that they wanted to carry on with Apescape, but yes. the move game was so poorly received right. that that kind of stopped anything yeah. dead in its tracks. That's a shame. However, despite that, and I suspect you're right, Charlotte, the character of Spike, or Kakaroo, is available as a playable character in PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Of course, as he should be the not particularly successful, I don't think, Sony Smash Brothers clone. Probably got it on your PS3 as part of PS Plus. I know I have never never installed it. Uh, and an Ape Escape costume is available as a download outfit in some Little Big Planet games, which is cute. I think there should be if there isn't Pippa monkeys in everybody's golf. Oh make, yeah, make it happen. Clap hands. <laughs> uh, also, and we mentioned this in our Metal Gear Solid Three show as part of the uh, the package. You got the. Uh, 
as part of Snake Eater, you got the game where he goes off to the jungle to capture the Ape Escape monkeys. And it is brilliant because it's Metal Gear Solid meets Ape Escape. And I think the reverse is true also. I think there's a Metal Gear Solid minigame in Ape Escape 3. Ha ha. <laughs> Capturing what? Cardboard boxes? I don't know. I am not. I, I am going to double check that, but I, I am fairly sure I read on the wiki that there is. it's a, a mutual thing. I definitely believe you. If there's an ape smoking cigarettes to show red lines going across the screen, I would, I would, I will play that game. <laughs> Horrible. Metal Gear Solid Snake Escape. Oh my goodness! Please <laughs> bring it Metal to Gear PS4. Solid. Yeah, it has to. It has to arrive. I just need to do a compilation of all these things into one big box and go done. Of course, mm. it may be one of those things where the reason that hasn't come to PS4 is because of that. The inclusion of that and the licensing deal that mm. got it there. Oh, that's <laughs> true. Having said that, on the HD versions of Metal Gear Solid 3, the Ape Escape apes are still in there, I believe. I mm. believe. Even on the Xbox, I think, but I might be wrong. Research is not complete. This also proves that we don't just read everything off of Wikipedia. Music from the game was released in Ape Escape Originate soundtracks published on November 18th, 2011, on Soichi Tarada's uh, own label, Far East Recording. If you can get hold maybe that's what's on Spotify. It probably yeah, is. Yeah, it, it is. is, I think. Yep. Right, cool. Amazing. Now, just as we were putting this show together, how often does this happen? It's weird. Uh, it's about a month ago, but this was on a site called HITC.com. Is that related? To, wasn't there a company, HITC? I don't know um, if it's a, if it's a deeply troubled or a problematic or offensive site. I apologize. I'm unfamiliar with it. But there was a there was an article. Ape Escape Rumors. Andy Serkis starring Planet of the Apes could be a great setup for Ape Escape 4. The article, hmm. the article starts, a remaster is most likely, if anything, but Ape Escape 4 could do some delightful things with a play on Planet of the Apes and a few Andy Serkis references. Along with Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, Gex and Croc, Ape Escape is easily up there as one of the classics of the 90s platforming golden age. And at a time in which new platformer reboots seem to be occurring every two years, fans are now speculating about the possibility that plans are being made to bring the beloved series back. This is because... After eight years, the Ape Escape official website has reportedly been updated. The change was first reported by Twitter user Moomoo, who said they'd been, re they'd been visiting the site every month for five years <laughs> in the hope of finding an update. I feel like I've been sending SOS from a deserted island and I finally got a plane on the street. This is translated using... Uh, program. Shortly after this update, another was made, which, as Mumu pointed out, included a minor change in the game's official description to include five characters of Spectre, the main antagonist. With just how many classic PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 platformers are currently being remastered for fans and newcomers alike to enjoy, it certainly doesn't sound like a wild bet to predict that Ape Escape could be getting at least a remaster. Maybe the original game. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd be fascinated to play a, a, yeah, a modern version of the original game with all the you know those elements fixed and probably yeah more modern than controls and whatnot. I'd, I'd I'd definitely like to run through it, but I, I think in the in the point of kind of you know cribbing off films that feature apes before it, I I kind of feel like um, uh, Ubisoft's Rad Rabbids have kind of done mm -hmm. that skip to death as well I kind, of, I kind of feel like they've had that moment in the limelight and it was funny for a while and then, I think these are way cuter myself and no I, I do as well but I just yeah I, I don't know I, I do well I, I think an Ape Escape game could work now 
um as you know it's just as a as a fun you should work on, on what's been enjoyable and I, i'd make the platforming less of a thing and just you know the hunting of the the apes and i'm sure that's absolutely a case of many of the games i've not played in the series so you know that's that's probably there for me anyway but uh, yeah i don't i don't think yes. it needs to be a you know a, a, a take on something <laughs> like planet of the apes i just yeah maybe it's a hook I'm pretty sure the uh, the stuff about Planet of the Apes and Andy it's Serkis just, is yeah. pure clickbait Speculation, stuff I know, to get but... people to, to to read the article. But um, there was a uh, there was a tweet uh, when Sony uh, or PlayStation announced their State of Play broadcast for March the 25th, which has been and gone now. Uh, somebody else tweeted uh, at Leopold the Brave tweeted, "It is time trilogy <laughs> remaster, please, or a proper Ape Escape four. Either is good." All caps. Um, but yeah, I guess that didn't happen because this was the last story I could find on the subject. But anyway, mm. it lives on in people's hearts. Uh, if anyone wants to see a return to the series, I'd suggest at least the PS2 game on the PS4. Shy Star 137 we've heard from before, let's hear from them again, says, Ape Escape played a big part in my gaming life as it was the first game I ever truly got into. I remember being so mesmerised by the world, the colours, the gadgets and the music that it took me ages to realise there was more than one level. Eventually, with the help of my friend, it would also be the first game I ever 100%ed. I still remember the final boss giving me a hard time because I thought the warning sign that would flash on the screen was for me and I thought I was doing something wrong. That's not the final boss, by the way, Shystar. The, the non-final boss. Going back the game over a decade later and having played many games since, I realised just how unique and interesting the game is. The first thing that hit me was just how crazy it is. As a kid, I took everything at face value and didn't question it. Only now as an adult do I realise <laughs> how mad the concept of catching monkeys through throughout world history really is. And my God, the voice acting is even worse than I remember. And I love it. I can't help but laugh whenever scenes involving time-travelling monkeys destroying history and everyone talks like it's just another day at the office. <laughs> the monkeys are all fun and I love reading up on each of them with the monkey radar and the gadget system. That's neat too. Having access to any four gadgets at once is really cool, but the most interesting thing, the dual analogue controls. With the left analogue stiff... Uh, left... With the left analogue stick, left controlling movement and the right controlling your gadgets. It's a cool novelty, but for the most part, I feel that's all it is. The majority of the weapons could be used just as easily with a simple button press, not dissimilar to the way a lot of Wii games would have you waggle the Wii remote to perform a basic attack. However, there are gadgets that do really take advantage of the second analogue stick, like the monkey radar, which lets you scan for monkeys in any direction and run at the same time. But my favourite is the RC car, which acted as a second mini character control and lent us some really cool puzzles. Ape Escape still means a lot to me and I can't help but smile whenever I hear that lab music. And I do think it's a must play for any fan of 3D platformers. Thank you to all our long form correspondents. Yeah, it's been some really good feedback, isn't it? It's, and it's nice to have feedback on a, a game you know, back from that early on. So just a little quartet of three word reviews, starting with Brian and Mr. Ixalite. Mr. Ixalite says, RC car harassment. Bearfish Pie says, Spectre, Prime Ape. A DT Dub says, and this is just about bending the rules, Bananas, DualShock <laughs> Demonstrator. DualShock's two words, really. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Kez86, Anthropomorphic Monkey Mayhem. Sorry, Tony, I gave you the well, tricky that's cool. one. Anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic Monkey Mayhem. Anthropomor anthropomorphic. So it's a really hard word for somebody who struggles reading words. Anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. Monkey mayhem. Uh, right. So, uh, well, I think Brian gets to go last because he did all the monkeys. 
Uh, I I go first because I did it. I did it the least kind of proper way on emulation, and it definitely did colour my experience. Uh, I'm, obviously, I'm not going to hold it against the game because the fact that I had controller issues and technical issues, and I'm sad about my original 1997 modded PlayStation dying. <laughs> That's not the game's fault. I found Ape Escape mostly a delight. It definitely shows its age in its visual presentation and in some of its controls and its frame rate and various other design uh, sensibilities. But overall, uh, I hadn't played anything quite this uh, what's the word? Madcap? I don't know. It's like I don't want it. I don't want it to to just say it's another charming game. Obviously, we've played Captain Toad recently and other Nintendo stuff, but this had a real this had a real sense of um, personality about it that's quite unlike anything else. It mainly brought my fond memories of playing the second game back, which was a surprise present from my girlfriend, the same one who played this game and got stuck on that monkey that we'll never identify. She bought me Abescape 2 as a surprise present one day and brought it home and, and I had a fantastic time playing through that. My recommendation would be now, based on the trickiness of playing this particular version, even if you don't have all the various issues that I had, would be assuming that the, a large percentage of our listeners have uh, the PS4, is go on the digital shop, especially if it's ever in a sale, which I'm sure it has been, and get Ape Escape 2. The PS4 version means you've got it, you've already got it hooked up to your TV. You've got all the pros of the PS2 version, which were uh, bigger areas, bigger draw distance, some improved mechanics, some refinements. I, I gather there are fans who are who care more about the first game in terms of its story and setting, but you know, I'm I'm 47. I couldn't near enough. I couldn't care less about that stuff. But the actual comedy of the game and the characters of the monkeys in the game, in the gameplay, outside of the the children's cartoon cutscenes, are, are timeless to me. They are absolutely adorable, really funny, and the gameplay is super smart and satisfying. Uh, this was again one of the games that really convinced me that Sony could make games from their internal studios. And yeah, Apescape One. If you have a way of playing it, probably worth going back to the start of the series. But if you don't, if you if you don't want to dig out old machines or emulation or whatever else, start with Apescape Two on the PS4, and you'll still have a similarly great time. And it still makes the same noise and rumble when you catch a monkey in the time net. That's the main thing. Uh, let's go, Charlotte. So I would definitely recommend playing the first one if you have the ability to um, play the first one. And I think a lot of people will have probably a PS2 laying around somewhere. Um, so if if you're having difficulties finding a way, maybe that's the way to go. And I just think because um, I've started playing the second one and I think the second one does a lot of things a lot better than the first one, but I get a real sense with the first one that they had a whole load of fun making it. It feels a lot less like a polished production, but because of that, it feels more like a bunch of people sat around in an office just having a laugh <laughs> creating a creating a platforming game um, with, with these puzzle catching monkey elements to it as well. Um, I had a blast. Um, I think it works well as a, a, a coherent package, as in the music elevates the visuals and the visuals elevate the music and it all has a sort of consistent tone. Really playing it 20 years on, it didn't really feel like a quote old game to me. Um, there was definitely moments where I got very frustrated, like that platforming section, which took forever. But um, when I think of games like uh, Super Mario Land, the 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 Mario game that was on the Game Boy, that is extremely frustrating. It's it's not quite that level of frustrating um, when I play like old platforming games, but it's 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 kind of frustrating. But it's um, 
it mostly mitigates it enough that the frustration is kept to a minimum. So if if you have any way at all of playing this, even if it means borrowing a a PS2 off somebody, I would totally recommend going back to the start. Um, if if it's really not possible, then jump in with the Apescape 2. But from what I'm seeing so far, the first one's just a shed load of load of uh, fun and creativity just bursting everywhere, whereas the second one feels a bit more controlled, I think. Mm, yeah, interesting. And that recommendation, despite the horrors of <laughs> the uh, that final platforming section. Yeah, I mean, I think since that's the only only instance where, and it was right at the end, I can kind of forgive it for that. Tony, how about you? Yeah, I've had a ball recently um, because we played uh, Aladdin, both on the, yes. the Mega Drive and the SNES version for the, the show. The joys of being on Kane and Rinse, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and followed that up. I'm doing a little bit of modern gaming in between, but following that fairly shortly after with uh, Ape Escape. And it's as when, whenever we do these things, it's always a good reminder that it's still absolutely some fantastic games to play in your backlog, even if you've never actually played them before. Um, in my case with Ape Escape, apparently I'd only played half the game. So it was fun to go back and, and finally, you know, many years later, finish my journey off apparently well i i don't think i'm i'm probably at the show i'm probably the least cool with some of the more dated elements i I appreciate the you know the visual style and um certainly the music but i I did get hung up a little bit on i think some of the gameplay is a little bit dated i love it for its scope at the time i I love the idea it's just it's a mishmash of ideas just smashed you know smashed together um and there is a coherence to it which is surprising considering both the subject uh, and what you do in it so yeah, I, I no doubt some of the later games are, are probably more refined in their gameplay, but you know, this many years later, it, it's still it's still a good fun time experience to have, and uh, yeah, I've I've really enjoyed um, doing it for the show. Nice, thank you. And now, Mister Hundred Percent Monkeys, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they call me. <laughs> no, I uh, yeah, I, I recommend it wholeheartedly if if you have an easy way to play it. I was uh, lucky enough to still have my copy in a working PlayStation One, so it wasn't that difficult uh, to get it going, but. Yeah, it's for if if you want to kind of be able to look back at the evolution of the 3D platformer and kind of see how things took their natural course from Mario 64 on now through our the 3D platformers we have now. I think Ape Escape is is kind of like essential reading for lack of a better term, essential playing. I uh I think it's got a, a ton of charm and 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 it made me sp- even in the frustrating parts, even in times where I was having trouble with certain things, like I, I had a perpetual smile on my face playing the game because it was just goofy enough and silly enough to keep me going. The voice acting was laughably bad, but I but I looked forward to each and every cutscene just because I knew it was going to be laughably bad. It it has a lot of charm and a lot of character, and, and to, not, to not repeat everything that everybody else has said, it just has something to it that you could see why it was so well uh, received at the time and 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 if you can get a chance to go play it um i absolutely would and and i've i've already purchased apescape 2 on the ps4 and i'm really looking forward to playing it there great well yes you can both curse us and thank us listeners those of you who uh keep cursing us for encouraging you to buy things and add ancient games to your backlogs but you can also thank us when you have a fantastic time for the most part (laughs) playing ape escape so it remains for me leon to thank brian charlotte and tony as well as our correspondents editor ryan and to you all for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast you appreciate the work and the time and the effort that goes into all these podcasts that we make not just this one but uh, sound of play and playwright and the sausage factory and all the other things that we do don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it wherever you can, wherever you get your media from. But best of all, patreon.com slash Kane and Rinse 
a dollar or more a month and get every Cane and Rinse podcast a week earlier, often extended beyond the two hours and an exclusive monthly show. We thank you for that. And next time in issue 371, how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Monkey Island 2, The Chuck's Revenge. <laughs>